Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello, Andrea. <laughs> Hi, and Miss Rihanna Manuel is here. Hello. <laughs> I can't with this mask on your face. <laughs> listen, listen. Okay, you guys, we have quite a doozy of a show in store for you. Christine Steimer can't be here this week because she has a work obligation, but don't worry. I am safe from the coronavirus. <laughs> I'm wearing my mask. You guys, I'm drinking my corona. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> ah, dang it. My mask it fell off. Oh, so- ah. <laughs> How long have you been waiting for this moment to wear your I mean, mask been, and to drink your corona I've been beer. waiting. I can't tell you how prepared I am. <laughs> Everybody, in case you were wondering, yes, I have oh a toilet paper. I've got the Charmin Forever Roll, which is literally bigger than my face. If you haven't been to YouTube.com slash What's Good Games in a while, maybe now is the time. I'm laughing because that's exactly the role that she's put in the guest bathroom for me whenever I come and visit. (laughs) So, like, I had the bladder the size of a pea, right? And so whenever I come over, it was always this thing of, oh, my God, Britt, how much toilet paper are you using to pee? Well... Andrea was like, enough is enough. So she bought this, I guess it's called a forever roll. And now like that's the toilet paper I use when I go to her house. It's like that big. Oh man. And- One roll can last an entire month. I see all these noobs out at Costco buying their regular <laughs> mega rolls. And I'm like, nah, dog, you got to get yourself the fucking forever roll. You got to step Thanks, up their Charmin. TP game. You're the best. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's very soft. Yeah. It's great. Uh, I know I just had to because I want to make sure that all of our viewers know exactly what you need to be prepared. You need Coronas, you need Charmin Forever Rolls, and you need face masks that are all like virtually useless. But it'll make you feel better about everything. <laughs> and it prevents... As long as you feel better, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that way when you're wearing them, even though you don't need them, it, pre- it prevents the people who actually need them from getting them. So you're doing really good. Don't do that. Don't buy don't all do the that, Purell. Man. People actually need that stuff. It's true. Purell is important to a very specific section of the population, but to the vast majority of you, just wash your hands. And while we're on the topic of washing hands, is it really something that we need to teach people how to do in the year 2020, how to wash their hands? Gotta sing songs. Dirty, dirty mofos. (laughs) Yeah, I will say that Vietnamese song about the hand washing, it's lit. It's real good. (laughs) They know what they're doing with jingles about hand washing. Have you guys seen this? This taking over TikTok? No. Oh God, no. No. Oh, there's like a there's like a whole there's like a whole hand washing dance. Oh. Um, uh, even um even Barb did it on the on the Rooster Teeth uh, Twitter account. It's really funny. Highly recommend you watch it. Our one of my favorite shows, John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, did a whole story on it. Not just the dance specifically, but you know, different countries' response to coronavirus. Anyway. 
Just just Google Vietnamese hand washing dance. Boom. <laughs> You'll find it. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, maybe get into the show, shall we? Welcome to What's Good Games. This is our first episode back since being at PAX East. As you can see, we all survived. We made it through. I got bronchitis and it sucked. <laughs> bronchitis does suck. I got bronchitis after CES. As we mentioned before we went to PAX, going to events like packs or CES, wherever there's, you know, tens of thousands of people in the same space, you're going to share germs. It's just part mm-hmm. of the human condition. <laughs> and getting sick is also part of the human condition. So thankfully, Brittany just had a case of bronchitis, but maybe she had COVID-19. We'll never know. She never got tested. <laughs> no, I never. I ne- yeah, I never got tested. I was nervous <laughs> to go in. I haven't left my house in oh, nine days because I thought maybe I had it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a good citizen. I'm not going to leave the house. Went Finally went into the walk-in clinic and they're like, we're not going to test you for it. You have bronchitis. All right, fair enough. And then off I went. <laughs> that was it. That was my experience. Oh, but, they, but they gave you sweet medicine. They, they didn't did. give me anything. I went to the walk-in clinic and they're like, yeah, you have bronchitis. Go home. Wait. And I was like, <laughs> you, no, no, dude. So I was I was coughing really bad to the point where I was like wheezing. I couldn't breathe very well. So I'm like, okay, I need to go in. They prescribed a medicine called Flovent and it overnight literally made a 180. I'm surprised they didn't give you anything. That's messed up. So, Flo- yeah. so Flovent is a prescription that I already have. So Flovent is something that people with asthma and seasonal allergies can use to help release airway, but it's meant to be like a short-term um, response to closed airways or wheezing lungs, and it's not meant to be like long-term care. Uh, fix my Unless life. you specifically have a lung condition that it's prescribed for, but for me, it's like I use my albuterol inhaler for my asthma when I'm having seasonal allergies mostly, or if I'm just having some kind of reaction to something in the air like before exercise or whatnot but thankfully i don't have to use my inhalers either my fluorovent or my albuterol every day hmm. but yes i already had those so oh man it changed my life anyway yeah, yeah. anyway here we are i survived <laughs> i survived pax east it's basically I'm glad you can make it through it f- thanks yeah so re speaking of pax east yeah we finally we're able to announce our big secret that you're joined the team. Yay. Welcome. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you feeling about everything so far? Are we as terrible as you <laughs> thought we would be? Yeah, you, you all are even better than I thought it would be. Honestly, this has been fantastic. I'm really excited to get started on a few new projects and really, really thrilled to join the podcast once a month. So I'm looking forward to it all. Yes, girl. It's going to be great. Very, very happy to have you. Yes, thank you. We're definitely excited to have you. So for everybody that potentially missed the announcement, I don't know how you missed it. We kind of shattered it from the rooftops. Uh, Miss Rihanna Manuel is now our first part-time employee here at What's Good Games. You can expect to see her on the podcast at least once a month. She's also going to be helping us with a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. And hopefully we're going to be roping her into some fun projects down the line. And maybe you'll see her at some conventions if they ever come back. <laughs> if they're not all canceled from now until the end of time. <laughs> maybe PAX East was it. Maybe that was the last video game convention that ever was and now it's forever done for 2020 at least oh, man. it was a good way to go out though i will say yeah yeah it was a high that note, was gonna be the sure. one to go out it was uh it was fun uh so Brittany, you mm-hmm. want to talk to us about some of our announcements that we have happening this week i would absolutely love to Andrew and Renee. Okay, so our Patreon exclusive streams are going to be next Saturday, March 21st. Time is TBD. 
But that will be our happy hour Q&A, which is open to all patrons. And our after hour stream, which is when we play a game sometimes with you. Or maybe we'll just... We haven't decided what we're doing yet for this one. So who knows? We might just play something random. Maybe we'll play Jackbox. Maybe I'll rope these ladies into playing a scary game with me. Probably not. But one can shoot for the stars. And this week, our third segment is going to be our Patreon segment. So this is a fun thing we do every month for all patrons is... Our patrons get to choose several topics that they want us to talk about. They submit them, and then they vote on the winner, and that's what we talk about. So this week, we are talking about jobs we would take in the video game universe. So if we had to go to a video game universe, which job would we take? And that was something that was submitted and voted on by our Patreon community. That'll be a fun discussion. And Andrea, I'm going to pivot to you because I'm losing my voice. So let me go cough sure. outside the microphone. Yes. So as she is you know, recovering from bronchitis... Um, I will take up the reins on our announcements here. So we are going to be doing our Patreon-produced segment for the month of February on this week's episode because of some timing things that happened in February because PAX was last week. We are going to be doing it this week. Steimer sends her regrets that she can't be here. But good news, we got Rihanna. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be an awesome conversation. So look forward to that in the third segment of today's show. And we've got so much to talk about, so let's just move right along and say thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Ate, Mohammed Mohammed, Marcus Brown, and Punctify. It was great to see some of you guys at PAX East, and we got to see Alex in Vegas for Dice. It's going to be interesting. I guess the next time we would see some of you is maybe PAX West, if it still happens, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And welcome to our yeah. yeah, exactly. And welcome to our Patreon community, Alejandro Gomez, Maddie Stansberry, Ray Burt, Gio Viteri, Ryan Muller, Justin Das, Jefferson Simon, Les Dungate, Veronica Granelli, Jeff Destromp, Destromp? Destromp? Destromp. Eddie, Jonathan Burns, Mark Smith, Anthony Goody, Caesar Lara, Yixel, Brandon Spivy, Christopher Peters, The Luke, Ooh. Howard Miller, Sunshine. Feel and Film, Lindsay Adams, Grace Guo, New Son of Earth, Robert Brown, Cody and Bennett, Puppy Escobar, and Kevin Ellis. Some Thank great you names. so much to everybody for joining us at What's Good Games Patreon community. We always appreciate the support, especially now. <laughs> With E3 gone, if you were contemplating maybe financially supporting What's Good Games patreon.com slash what's good games maybe now is a good time please <laughs> to thank consider you. supporting small business but if you cannot support us on patreon.com slash what's good games you can help us by leaving a podcast review on whatever platform you use so we got lots of new new reviews this week and last week ladies we got king matheus cordnelius i am stormtrooper prince jafar who also gives a shout out to this jeff person <laughs> Evil SS, Jmen87, who also gives a shout out to Jeff. Kevin, Why I. Is everybody <laughs> giving shout outs to Jeff. It's a bit now, Andrea. It's a thing. It's part of what's good games now. Kevin, <laughs> INJ. And then we got LOL, who also gives a shout out to Jeff. <laughs> Three hours too long. Parker4381, Darth Mathis, and Quirky Quick. And an extra, 
extra special thanks to our two one-star reviewers, Tom Wilson68, who says, all of the sexual remarks are total trash and doesn't make a good podcast, stick to games. And Amber1235, who says, tells us to trust the who, who lied and protected a communist regime, awful people defending an awful organization. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, Wait, hold on. Amber tells us to trust the who. Who lied for and protected a communist regime? Regime, sorry. Mm. Bad. I mean, I would really love to know who Amber <laughs> is talking about here. <laughs> Apparently, we protected a communist regime. I know, that's it, right? We did. <laughs> Are they talking about China, maybe? Mm. They've got to be. I don't remember the last time we talked about Russia. I mean, <laughs> World of Tanks hasn't really been in the gaming news for a while. <laughs> Awful people defending an awful, awful organization. Communist Do you think regime? Amber left her review on the wrong podcast? No, probably not. <laughs> you know, I just don't understand anymore. Tell us who this regime is, Amber, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hash it out like ladies. Yeah, exactly. No, we won't. We'll just tell Amber, you know what? Go somewhere else and enjoy your corner of the internet. Anyway... <laughs> Like Brittany said, if you can't financially support us, we 100% understand these are tough times for a lot of us. But leaving us a five-star review is incredibly helpful and only takes a few moments of your time. So please go to your favorite podcast service and subscribe and leave a review if you have a few spare moments to share. All right. So we've got a lot of news to talk about. So let's get into it. But before we do that, I want to tell you that the news segment this week is brought to you by Honey. Online shopping is supposed to be easy, so why is it so hard to find coupon codes that actually work? Thanks to Honey, it doesn't have to be. Honey is the free online shopping tool that saves you money online. Honey automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them to your cart, which makes online shopping finally feel as easy as it's supposed to be. And let me tell you, everyone's doing all of the online shopping these days because nobody wants to touch any surfaces in any stores. Okay, so let me tell you, here's how it works. Imagine you're shopping at one of your favorite sites, Best Buy, Sephora, eBay, Etsy, etc., When you go to checkout, a little box drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a few seconds for it to scan every promo code on the internet and watch as the prices drop. Now, I've been obsessed with Honey recently, you guys. Uh, I told you guys that I installed it on my Chrome browser the last time we talked about Honey on the show. And I love it because it works on a ton of different sites and it consistently saves me money on items that I purchase every month. A perfect example is our awesome Patreon exclusive handcrafted postcards. So we have to print these every month. Then we write out little notes and we send them if you're interested. Patreon.com slash what's good games. So I just printed them online like I usually do. And then the little honey pop-up window asks to run the codes. And so I hit apply the coupons button and boom. The savings just rolled in. For example, this month I specifically saved $8. Last month there was a better code, so I saved $11 on the postcards. And it takes like two seconds to run these promo codes. But you guys, the secret best part of Honey is the gold that you earn. So once you sign into your Honey account, you'll start collecting Honey gold for just making purchases around the web because you install this in your browser and it kind of tracks where you're buying everything. And so once you get enough gold, you can cash that gold in for gift cards with very popular websites like Amazon, Target, or Macy's. I just bought an Amazon gift card with some of my honey gold. I had no idea. I have over like 10,000 honey gold. Damn, girl. I've just been like racking it up. 
hmm, this is awesome. And like, I literally did nothing but just install the browser extension. So Honey has found over $2 billion of savings for its over 18 million members. Plus, users love Honey. That's why it has over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. That's hashtag goals for what's good games. Sometime we'll get to 100,000 reviews oh boy. someday. <laughs> Not using Honey is literally passing up free money. It's free to use and it installs in just two clicks. You guys can get Honey for free by going to joinhoney.com slash what's good. That's joinhoney.com slash what's good. And it'll give you all the instructions to install joinhoney.com slash what's good. And it's important that you use our link because that's how Honey knows that you heard about them from us, which helps us Again, another way that you can help support everything What's Good Games does. Join honey.com slash what's good. All right. So I wonder what news story we should start with this week. <laughs> Brittany, why don't you pick? <clears throat> How about this little thing called E3 2020? Has- sure. Why not? All right. So this comes from Kotaku. <sighs> The biggest trade show in video games is skipping a year. E3 2020, which was planned to take place at the Los Angeles Convention Center this June, is canceled as a result of the COVID-19 coronavirus that is currently spreading across the globe, the organizers of the conference said today. Quote, after careful consultation with our member companies regarding the health and safety of everyone in our industry, our fans, our employees, our exhibitors, and our longtime E3 partners, we have made the difficult decision to cancel E3 2020, scheduled for June 9th through 11th in Los Angeles. The ESA, the video game lobbyist group that runs the trade show, said in a statement to press this morning. The ESA added that it will be looking, quote, to coordinate an online experience to showcase industry announcements and news in June 2020. Traditionally, E3 has two parts. During the first few days of the show, from Saturday through Monday, major video game publishers like Microsoft and Ubisoft hold press conferences to showcase trailers to announce their latest games, while from Tuesday through Thursday, the show floor opens for business deals and video game demos. The first part will be far easier to replicate than the second. Microsoft has already announced an Xbox digital event for this year, as has Ubisoft. So... We have a question from our Patreon community, Mitch Crasson, and I think this will incorporate into our further discussion about E3. Um, Actually, you know what? Before I get into that, let me get into the next bullet point that was in Jason Schreier's article. This year, a newcomer planned to enter the field. Warner Bros. Games was preparing to host an E3 press conference for the first time, according to three people familiar with the publisher's plans. There, Warner Bros. Games has planned to talk about had planned to talk about a number of much-anticipated games, including a new Batman, a Harry Potter game that had leaked in 2018, and the next game from Arkham developers Rocksteady Studios. It remains to be seen whether Warner Bros. will instead hold its own digital event or do something else entirely. Wah, wah. Okay, so yeah. then we have some issues from statements from Nintendo and Xbox and Ubisoft, which I guess we can read now. Let's do it. Go for it. I'll do it. I'm going to fucking do it. Let's do you go. Want, do, you want me to, do you want me to read it? <laughs> no, nah, I got this. Okay. <clears throat> Nintendo has issued a statement. Nintendo supports the ESA's decision to cancel this year's E3 to protect the health and safety of everyone in our industry, our fans, our employees, our exhibitors, and our longtime E3 partners. We would like to express our concern and support for all those affected by the COVID-19 outbreak during this challenging time. We'll continue to be flexible and redirect our efforts to other ways of keeping our fans up to date about our activities and products. Because of the COVID-19 outbreak, large industry events may be untenable for the foreseeable future, but we are considering various ways to engage with our fans and we'll have more to share as the year continues. 
And then Phil made a statement about Xbox, Phil being Phil Spencer. E3 has always been an important moment for Team Xbox. Given this decision, this year we'll celebrate the next generation of gaming with the Xbox community and all who love to play via an Xbox digital event. Details on timing and more in the coming weeks. And then Ubisoft issued a statement and said, The health and well-being of teams, players, and partners is our top priority. So while we're disappointed, we fully support the ESA's decision to cancel E3 2020. E3 is and will continue to be a moment where we come together as a community and share our love of games. We're exploring other options for a digital experience that will allow us to share all the exciting news we have planned. Stay tuned for more. Mm. Wowzers. Wowzers, yeah. wowzers, wowzers. So we have a couple questions, again, like I was saying earlier, from a Patreon community. Uh, one, I'm I guess, drink comes from tequila. Cody and Go Bennett. Ahead. Will this be the beginning of the end of an in-person E3 event? Rihanna, it hit me. It could be, honestly. Um, there are obviously lots of things that happen during E3 that have nothing to do with the press conferences. And a lot of folks in the industry have been tweeting about this, both of you included. Um, it, there are meetings that happen, deals that are brokered, introductions that are made that will will not be possible if this is an online-only event. And that is really probably to the detriment of the entire industry, and especially for smaller creators, smaller channels. Uh, they won't have the opportunity to get those hands-on experiences with their audiences and potential new audiences, and that really is a shame. But E3 has been on an interesting trajectory for the last few years, and I am concerned that this could be a really big nail in that coffin. Yeah. I was talking to Andrea about this. It's interesting. And full disclosure, Rihanna works at um, Xbox. So she she has some insider knowledge, too, about how this can really impact the industry as a whole. But I was talking to Andrea a little bit before we started recording. It's very interesting to see the Twitter reaction to this. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. On Tuesday night, the news kind of started to break, right? We started seeing Devolver Digital of uh, all people put out a tweet and was like, cancel your E3 hotels and flights, y'all. Which to me was like wildly irresponsible. Sorry to cut in, especially from a company that has poked fun at E3 for several years now and holds their events outside of the E3 infrastructure. We all love Devolver as a company. We think it's uh, they are cheeky in a very clever way. And clearly their games are great, right? But this isn't about that. But I was really kind of like, like it rubbed me the wrong way, like seeing them say something like that without having official confirmation. <laughs> I got some of this news from other people too. I'm like, listen, obviously I'm very upset about the whole thing <laughs> and I'm like trying to like contain my anger about it all. But like, don't, don't tweet something like that and be cryptic about it unless you got something to say. <clears throat> say it. Otherwise, don't say anything because all you're going to do is give people a lot of anxiety and worry. And for what? You know, obviously the ESA made their announcement probably because they were forced to make their announcement sooner than they wanted to because of people like Devolver. And like, does the ESA or does Devolver owe the ESA anything? No, absolutely not. I just think that sometimes people are quick to make a joke and not contemplating, oh, hey, I think this is really funny, but maybe this has far-reaching consequences that I didn't contemplate. That's fair. 100% fair. And seeing the response also from our colleagues in the industry, I mean, I've talked about this before. I feel like it's kind of not the cool thing. I won't say that. But there's a lot of curmudgeonly responses to E3. I think a lot of people don't enjoy E3, or at least they're putting on a uh, 
a face that makes it seem like E3 is a burden to them. And it's really sad because I personally love E3. It's one of, it's my favorite event of the year. Um, I love the energy of E3. I love the networking opportunities. I love the connections we're able to make. I love seeing little indie games. Not as well, yeah, indie games. I mean, I feel like there's been more indie games lately, but just seeing games in general that I may not have taken a look at if I had not been at E3, right? And so it's just a sad, sad situation. And it, this goes so much further than missing press conferences. I mean, those can happen, you know, digital streaming, obviously. But something also about being in those rooms and being able to experience that energy and that hype personally, it's something I'm definitely going to miss this year. It's something that, you know, we'll still get our news that week, I think. I think we're still going to get the exciting announcements. But like you were saying, Rhea, it's just the other things that people might not understand or know of if you aren't someone who attends E3 in person that we're all going to miss on, which is Bummer Town. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, and I need, I think I need a minute to like formulate my thoughts. So Rhea, if you had something to say and I cut you off, I apologize. No, you, you didn't. It's just, it's hard. It's. It sucks, right? I mean, E3 is something that in my profession, I, pl- I spend a lot of time planning for. Obviously, a lot of people do. And it's something that is a really huge lift in the middle of the year where you get to celebrate games and hear about new stuff. And there's this amazing opportunity for everybody to focus on games for one moment. And it, it really is a disappointment that it won't happen in person this year. And of course, we will still have digital events, as several outlets have said, or several publishers have said, but it, it will lose a little bit of that magic, unfortunately. And uh, especially for people who are smaller and trying to break into the industry and looking for those networking opportunities that don't come many times a year, mm-hmm. it, it really is uh, it really is a disappointment. Yeah, being able to cover E3 when I first started out, I think really helped me stand out as a content creator back in the day. You know, being able to say, I'm at E3 and I was able to play these games. And granted, like, that was before, you know, the public was allowed to purchase passes. But even still, E3 in itself has always kind of felt like more of an intimate convention, whereas, you know, the PAX conventions are typically more fan forward. This definitely feels more like we're here to do business. And so it's a great opportunity for new content creators, you know, people who are trying to break out to meet people and shake some hands and hopefully not get sick. And, you know, just uh, make those connections that might turn into something, you know, you never know, right? And E3's plan for this year had included that E3 digital ticket where they would sell game demo bundles to fans. Maybe if they couldn't be there in person, they would be able to do kind of what the game festival did through the Game Awards. I think that that was this year. Yeah, last year, 2019, where here's some limited time demos. Go ahead and like play these if you want. Um, Experience these games that you can't be there uh, in person for. So maybe, you know, E3 maybe planned for something kind of like this anyway. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they pivot. With all of this. I think that the idea of doing a digital focus presentation is fine. I think it'll be interesting. I think that the digital ticket idea is something we discussed last year and is overdue because companies like Blizzard have been doing it for BlizzCon for a while to give access to people who can't physically be at BlizzCon because they can only sell so many tickets, right? So I think that there's nothing wrong with exploring that as an option. But I think the far-reaching consequences of canceling the E3 are still like really not being talked about by that many people. And there's a couple people that had mentioned some things. And I'm very glad that Jason Schreier from Kotaku also mentioned that there are lots of people that are going to feel this. Whether he approves of it or not, you know, is another thing. 
you know, to be set aside, but I think there's to be no argument that the economic impact is real, not just on people in our industry, on smaller indie teams, on PR and marketing teams, on the unions that are building these booths at the convention center, the hotels, the bars and restaurants in the Los Angeles area that always get millions of dollars worth of business when E3 is in town, all of the events companies, the musicians, like I could keep going. Mm. Like, and it's frustrating that, the trolls online want to make this all about the ESA and like the direction that the ESA has taken. And in my mind, I'm like, that's so far removed from like the, the giant bigger impact that E3 has on our industry. And it's, it's frustrating. I mean, like I'm mad about it. I'm sad about it. I'm angry about it. (laughs) And like, it sucks that this is happening because we've had pandemic diseases before, like when, the World Health Organization has declared pandemic before. It never has created this catastrophic ep- economic impact. Even when China was directly involved, if you think about you know where SARS was, right? Like, I just think that what's happening is this like wild overreaction. And I know that there's people out there that are like, well, you say it's an overreaction now. Well, why don't you just wait and see when everything is going to be fine or it's not going to be fine like a month from now. And like, I just can't live by that. I just can't live by that set of rules. And like, that's okay. And the people who are always going to be at risk for COVID-19, we're going to be at risk no matter when these conventions or these music festivals, these basketball games, whatever is the thing that was canceled is, they're always going to be at risk. The, the at-risk people are just at risk and like they know what their risks are. And it's just the economic impact, I think, cannot be overstated. And Brittany and I, before we started rolling the cameras tonight, we're like, yo, don't look at your 401ks, everybody, because the stock market is in the fucking toilet. It's awful. It's bad out there. And so I'm hoping that we can bounce back. I'm hoping that we as an industry can find another way forward. I'm glad to see that companies like Ubisoft and Xbox have already stepped up to say, hey, we're still excited about 2020. We have cool things we want to show you and we're planning to show them to you. But Brittany, I think you made a very good point in saying it's not just about the press conferences. In fact, as Nintendo has shown, that's the easiest thing to do digitally. Nintendo hasn't had a press conference at E3 for quite some time, but they still have a very big footprint at the show because of the tournaments that they do, because of the treehouse streams, and of course because of the amazing hands-on opportunities to play their upcoming games, which is really the big loss here, is this idea that we as members of the press, or even now, you know, with the gamer badges, that somebody can go to a convention and play multiple games in like a 48-hour to 72-hour period that would be incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to get with digital code because of the security restrictions and the rampant piracy and the rampant PC community and how they just dig apart code. Like With good reason, developers don't want to put their unfinished builds anywhere in a vulnerable position. So this idea that we're actually going to be able to play demos that are going to be the same as the demos we would play on the show floor is just false. Even if we are able to get something like what Jeff Keighley did with the the Games Festival around the Game Awards, I think that that's great, but it's never going to be the same type of builds, the same type of early builds that we would see for major AAA games that we've gotten at E3 in the past. 
No, 100%. And that's the other thing, too, is when you are playing those demos on the show floor, you typically have a representative or a developer, you know, watching you, able to answer questions and able to explain things. Mm -hmm. And those demo builds will sometimes break because sometimes they're very early, you know, and I don't think it can be afforded to put a demo on some sort of online portal where it's going to be anything of major significance. If let's say Microsoft was able to say, Hey, here's halo infinite, like for 48 hours, you're able to play the demo. Like that would be fucking amazing. But there's obviously a lot of complications that go along with that. And, um, yeah, it's just uh it's just a really big bummer town. I'm really bummed about it. I think E3 will be back next year. I don't everyone thinks this is going to be the last year of E3. I think it's going to come back in what form who knows. I think this I is, hope it does. I really yeah, do. Yeah. I think this year is going to give us a lot of insight as to what works, what doesn't work because we've never I mean, Andrew, you've been in the industry I think as long as I have. I can't think of anything that could be more industry shifting than what's happening right now with all these cancellations. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I use the term catastrophic and I don't use it lightly. Like for me personally, it's catastrophic for sure. And for what I do, doing, you know, one-off hosting events, like hosting live streams, hosting game reveals, hosting panels like at the Coliseum or at PAX, et cetera. Like, and I'm not, I'm not alone. All freelancers and contractors who work in entertainment are feeling this pinch as a lot of things are being canceled. And it's not just entertainment. Now we're hearing that March Madness is going forward with nobody in the stands except limited access to immediate family or, or friends and family. And like, there's talk of like the NBA, like, outright canceling the rest of the season because of how much air travel those teams have to do. And it's like, wait, wait, what? Coachella's no, over. No, what's happening? Yeah. Like, I mean, like Coachella at least got bumped to October. And like with Coachella being in April, you know, like that makes sense. We're talking about like, you know, like 50,000 yeah. plus people. But like the people that are going to Coachella aren't even really at risk for COVID-19, which is like <laughs> the hair pulling part that we're not going to get into right now. But I think that I don't want to talk about, you know, what's happening in the medical field. I want to talk about this impact on games and this impact on us. And I think what's, you know, kind of frustrating about the whole thing is that people want to make this about the ESA and how the ESA is using this as an excuse. And like, there's no doubt that there's been a lot of turnover and turmoil at the ESA over the last couple of years with everything that happened to them last year and coming into this year they probably do need a chance to regroup, but there's been off years of E3 before. I still remember E3 in Kensha Hall covered it. It was weird, but I did it anyway. <laughs> like E3 in Santa Monica, that that happened. You know, and so I think that there's a space for E3 to reinvent itself and keep going and become something really phenomenal, really amazing without sacrificing like where it came from in its history. Indeed. We have a question from Patreon from Mitch Cresson. Of all the things on the supposed Warner Brothers press conference, Batman, Harry Potter, Rocksteady, which excites you the most? Do you think a big event for all three is likely or three smaller announcements specializing on the games themselves? Me personally, Ermigerd, Harry Potter. Mitch, you and I are aligned. I'm so excited for Harry Potter. Listen, Rocksteady is amazing. I will play whatever they make. But, like, the game that I want is the Harry Potter leaked You're RPG. a wizard, Harry. Is that a quote? Or I should make that up. <laughs> I think I Hagrid know. said that. Yeah. So What about you, Ree? Yeah. 
yeah, Harry Potter's number one, um, obviously. Uh, Ravenclaw here. Very excited. Hopefully, it is what we're expecting. And yeah, that, that that's what I'm really holding my hopes out for. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where it's like, all fucking years, man. We're on the cusp of new consoles. Like, this is going to be the year we get that, like, that big blowout of new Xbox information. And apparently, Warner Brothers was going to have a freaking press conference, which I pretty sh- i don't ever remember them having one before just, never yeah i've never had one yeah. since i've been covering e3 Sa- yeah same so it's just like a oh, bummer town but still it's incredibly exciting at the same time the last batman game i played was arkham city so i'm due and harry potter i i've seen the movies i couldn't tell you a damn thing about them but uh i'm down for any Not a damn world thing? of world of wizardry what who who's the big guy with the beard and the long hair uh, oh, oh no, that's Dumbledore. No, no, I don't know. Oh, oh, ha- Hagrid. Hag- there you go. Oh, yeah, Hagrid. yeah. Hey, there we go. You, you told us a thing about Harry Potter. I had to like you dust off it. like those. You know, when I'm tipsy, my memory's a little better actually. So I think you was. <laughs> oh yeah. If we didn't make it clear, we're like like emotional drinking this whole show. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that's like, yo, this show is awesome. We love what's good games. I don't really like it when the girls get drunk. Whoops! You might want to like tap out of this show. Just save yourself. It's gonna only go downhill from here. Um, I'm literally but- on my second glass of an old fashioned. I had it pre prepared. Good girl. This is so why I didn't have to go we're friends. And I just brought the the tequila out to the studio. I'm on shot number two, so I have this amazing. You guys, it might be hard to see on camera, but it's um, the Paragon Wing from Mass Effect. Ah, oh, that's um, a good shot on the shot glass. Yeah, so our um, it wasn't our. Uh, you know who this is from? This is from Ozzy. I'm um, Ozzy Mejia, uh, one of our amazing patrons, but also more importantly, one of my fantastic friends. Ozzy's great. Um, yeah, Ozzy's awesome. So I have. I'm drinking this blinking owl bourbon. Used tequila. Oh, I'm so jealous. You still have some. I know. Miss Ayal is <laughs> mine's the best. gone because you you helped me drink it. I, yeah, I finished I that did. a minute ago. <laughs> I I saw Miss Ayala at PAX and I told him I saved this for very special occasions and this is a sad but special occasion. I'm really bummed out about this news. I, I I'm I, devastated. I, Did I say it yet? Yeah, it's it's. I think this is something. <laughs> she's crying off mic. Oh, no. We love her. I think <laughs> no, it's something that's cry. not surprising. I, I think cry. we all saw this coming. But as the news was breaking, I think at that moment it felt real. And it put this yeah. pit in my stomach that I guess I wasn't anticipating, which makes me happy because that tells me I still love what I do and I still love E3, whereas a lot of people are happy. And I'm, you know, I'm like, no. The moment I stopped loving E3, I think is when I got to check out. Get out. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you don't like it, if you don't like your job, if you don't like going to the premiere show with the coolest stuff, with the most amazing, exciting opportunities to play the best, newest games, like, get out. You're Team. done. Goodbye. I mean, there's plenty of other things that you can do in the gaming industry than go to E3. And, like, that's all I have to say about that. You could do anything yeah. else. Yeah. Stay home go. and, you know, stream Fortnite on Twitch. Have fun. <laughs> Just drink your water and mind your business. That's all you got. Oh, God. Do. Yeah, you do, you do you. You do you. All right. Um, so, yeah, this is this is sad and bad and awful and terrible. But I'm hoping that there will be a silver lining that we'll still be able to have some digital things happening, um, some streams, some, you know, events, something, something. I hope by the time June actually rolls around that 
this hysteria around COVID-19 is long gone. I feel like we're in this hysteria culture right now. It doesn't even matter what it is, whether it's the election, whether it's what's happening on social media, whether it's what's happening with celebrities. Like people get like spun up about something and then it becomes our world for a couple of weeks and then boom, it's done. It's over. It's gone. And now we're moved on to the next thing. Yeah. Well, the good news is with E3 being canceled, I guess, that means I get to come to LA and we get to maybe live react these press conferences. Yes, of course. We will definitely have lots more happening. Um, I tweeted, what does the busiest lady in the business do when all of her events that made her busy are canceled? (laughs) Um, And (laughs) um, it was, there was a lot of you that had a lot of fantastic responses. So thank you everybody for, for, for reaching out. Um, And, you know, we, we have some stuff, we have some stuff happening. We've got plans and the work. I know I've been saying that, but it's actually happening. Um, And if you haven't yet followed, our Twitch channel, or you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, maybe now is the time. Twitch.tv slash what's good games, youtube.com slash what's good games. Sign up for notifications for whenever we go live because we're going to be going live more often. Uh, uh, more details uh, on that soon. Uh, going live. Going live. I mean, that too. You're correct. <laughs> I am very wrong. All right, let's move on, shall yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. We're only like 45 minutes into the show. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We knew this was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, The Last of Us writer teases HBO's new TV series. Game of Thrones Network HBO recently announced a partnership with Sony for a TV show based on The Last of Us, and now some new details have come to light, or at least a new tease. Neil Druckmann, who wrote The Last of Us, is also writing the TV show, with Chernobyl's Craig Mazin, has teases that The Last of Us TV show may feature characters... From The Last of Us Part 2. Dun, dun, dun. For International Women's Day, HBO released a reel of some of its most iconic characters from across the network's programming, including Game of Thrones, Big Little Lies, Westworld, and others. Druckmann retweeted with a cryptic caption. Quote, and now you have Ellie, Riley, Tess, Marlene, Maria, XXXX, and a few others. Winky face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the quadruple X. Druckmann left four blank spaces for one of the women's names, so people are speculating about who it might be. Some are suggesting Ellie's mother, Anna, could appear. She was spoken about, but never seen in the first game. She is dead, spoilers, but that doesn't mean she couldn't appear in some capacity in the TV show. As for the few others, this could be a reference to characters from The Last of Us Part 2. As announced previously, the HBO series will cover the events of the first game with the possibility of additional content on the forthcoming game sequel. The Last of Us TV show also features Game of Thrones producer Carolyn Strauss, who has won five Emmys for Game of Thrones and Chernobyl as an executive producer. Nutty Dog's president, Evan Wells, is an executive producer as well. The Last of Us was first announced as a movie from Sony Pictures, but IGN reports that the new TV show will be made instead of a movie. Whoa. And Audrey Watson over at patreon.com slash games asks, ideal casting for Tilu? How do you think most developers will approach not having that physical space via E3 to present? Oh, whoops. I meant to get out that last sentence. My bad. That's fine. Um, but I, I think it's a, interesting because Tilu's new release date is the last 
Oh, yeah. when I can't keep track. I want to say May, but I know that that was the original. May 29th. So this will happen just at, would have happened just ahead of E3. So mm. they really wouldn't oh, have been May. part of E3. But And I would not imagine that Naughty Dog would have shown anything. Obviously, PlayStation already said, yo, Deuce's <laughs> E3 were good. So we, we wouldn't have expected anything from Naughty Dog at E3 anyway, in case somebody was holding out hope for, you know, Uncharted 5 or whatever else they're working on. <laughs> but I think that this is interesting given all the turmoil around the Uncharted film project. And I think it also speaks to the incredibly tangled mess that is Sony Pictures studio system. Something that a lot of people probably aren't thinking about. So Sony Pictures, it was just not that, it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't Sony Pictures. What was it? Where PlayStation's like, yo, we're do- we have a new studio dedicated to making film and TV series based off of our properties, right? Yeah. So that's part of this. Okay. I think this is, I think if there's going to be, okay, I want to say I have high hopes, but for anything like this, obviously Neil Druckmann being on there, and I never was a big fan of Game of Thrones, but I know, were you, were you a fan of Game of Thrones? Uh, passively. Well, I, I caught it. Us. One of us. Okay, so I know Andrea and Steimer were, so I'm sure they're even more excited than I am because um, Carolyn Strauss is on it. Anyway, I think if this can be, I think this has all of the structure it needs to be something successful. I think HBO is the right platform from that. They're not allowed, they're not scared to show ass and titties and sex and turmoil and violence. And that's all the things of The Last of Us minus, I guess, the sex. Anyway, so they're not far. A- Wait, what? I missed that. Damn it. Well, there might be there might be sex. There might be. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, we know there's at least a makeout. I'm yeah, down for yeah. a makeout. Point being, HBO, I feel like they're not afraid to go there and show what they need to show to build a compelling story and narrative. So, cool. Let's go. I wonder, though, okay, Maisie, is that her name? Maisie Williams? Mm-hmm. Because From remember way back in the day, she was in talks with Druckmann about being Ellie because everyone thought she'd be a great fit. She actually flew down there and had chats with them. But I think that was in, like I said, 2016. Hmm. So will she still be involved? Or is she too old to play the role of Ellie at this point? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how old she is, but... I don't think she fits Ellie at all. Really? Do you remember that social media push, though, where everyone's like, Maisie, Maisie. I do remember that. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Oh, yeah. So, Ree, what do you think about this? I don't know. It's hard for me to hear Ellie or to imagine Ellie saying something without um, imagining the original actress from the game. So, I mean, she's mm. obviously much older than the character. Ashley Johnson. But uh, I don't – I, I mean, I guess a newcomer would be probably the only way that it would – it wouldn't have an uncanny feeling for me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. For me, I almost wish that they wouldn't follow the story of Joel and Ellie. I wish they would kind of create some a spinoff that takes place in that same universe. Because I feel like at that point, with, if, as soon as you mentioned Joel and Ellie, the expectations just go through the roof. And we as gamers are very, we're very hard crowd to please. So to actually meet that expectation, I think is going to be very hard. But if you were going to say, and this is kind of like the rumors with the new Resident Evil series on Netflix that's been, you know, in talks is something within the universe, but not necessarily a story that's been told before. I think that's like the safer bet, but like, Hey, I, you know, I will remain optimistic because that's what I do. And that's all we can hope for, Britt. 
Um, I'm glad that HBO's involved. I think that there's an absolute recipe for magic with mm-hmm. the writing and storytelling of Naughty Dog coupled with the production finesse that HBO has with doing some of these more intricate dark stories. And I think that HBO tends to spare no expense when it comes to production, as we've seen by, you know, productions like Game of Thrones, like Watchmen, like several other series that they've had that are really, you know, production intensive. So I, I'm hoping that's going to be awesome. I do still think that Uncharted is way more of a recognizable story and way more of a crowd pleaser than the very deep, dark story that is The Last of Us. Like, I think The Last of Us was phenomenal for a lot of reasons, which you don't, we don't need to go into here. I think we all universally agree, Last of Us, dope. But I'm just a little disappointed that, you know, they haven't, like, put more time into figuring out what went wrong with Uncharted and fixing it, but... Speaking of what went wrong with Uncharted and got fixed. <laughs> did you purposely um, skip the Warzone story? Um, I did not. I think that we should just mention the In Case You Missed It and then we'll go back to the Warzone story. No, Because I, I scrolled down too far in my document. <laughs> I figured as much. So it's okay. This wasn't is what we do. It, it was a mistake. It is. Okay. Let's move on to In Case You Missed It then. And come right back to it. Antonio Banderas has joined the Uncharted film cast. Joining him is the seventh director, Ruben Fleischer. He is known from, Z- Z- I almost said Zenom, but Venom in Zombieland <laughs> 1 and 2, Sophia Ali from Grey's Anatomy, and Tati Gabrielle from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. They're all on board. So I love it now because whenever news about the Uncharted film breaks, we get a whole bunch of tweets at us because they know we just <laughs> we just love to talk about it because it's been a, a shit a shit fire. But hey, it's looking up? Question mark. I've never heard the term shit fire. Me, me neither. Me neither. It was in Did my brain. And I'm like, do I say it? Term? I've had enough whiskey. Is that like when you put the shit on someone's porch and then light it on fire? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like Boom. and like a doggy bag. Yeah, that's Fair that's enough. like what I've never done that. Wait. <laughs> No, wait, I, I know what you're talking about, though. <laughs> I've never done it, I promise. Rihanna, do you have a confession? Yeah. No. I don't this know is a safe about. space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, listen, I think, like, cool. Antonio Banderas, awesome. I still think that this movie is a big, like, toss-up. I really love uh, this director's work. Venom wasn't one of my favorites, but I loved zo- the Zombieland movies, so those were great. So I just want this movie to get made, but hopefully it'll be great. And that's all we're going to say about it <laughs> for now. I do want to go back to the Warzone story. So, Reed, you want to read this story? Yeah, yeah. Let me scroll up. Uh, Warzone. Okay, Call of Duty Warzone has two modes, and it launched March 10th. And this is from Destructoid. So they write, Call of Duty Warzone is the 150-player standalone free-to-play Battle Royale game released for uh, released for PlayStation, PC, and Xbox One this past March 10th. Warzone is set across Van... Oh, Verdansk? Verdansk. <laughs> Verdansk. A Battle Royale is hell-sounding city with over 300 points of interest. And you'll be able to drive ATVs, SUVs, rovers, cargo trucks, and even fly a four-person helicopter. Mm. Uh, player squads, at least at launch, will be in trios. And if you're afraid of facing a quick and early death in Battle Royale, don't be. There is a shot at redemption. If you're afraid... Oh, sorry. Warzone has a gulag 
in which fallen players can fight in one-on-one battles after their first elimination to earn their redeployment. Contracts, which are objective-oriented tasks, and cash, which is the in-game currency, are another way to bring back your friends. Quote, for varying prices, you can purchase killstreaks, redeploy tokens to bring back fallen teammates, self-revive kits, and more at buy stations. Another interesting wrinkle, Battle Royale is only half of Warzone. The game has another mode, Plunder. That's focused on earning, stealing, and depositing as much cash as possible. So how big is Warzone? For brand new players, it's (laughs) 83 to 101 gigabytes of a download, Mm -hmm. uh, according to Activision. And for Modern Warfare players who already have the latest update, they'll need to download an 18 to 22 gigabyte file. And Warzone's update to unlock the classified panel will be in the game. Warzone players will be able to transfer all of their stuff over to Warzone. The two games share a progression system, so it's a two-way street, and Warzone unlocks will register in Modern Warfare. So I think she meant Modern Warfare players will be able to transfer all of their multiplayer stuff over to Warzone. Right. um, Because the games are linked. Yes, either way. Progression So you have been playing this, yes? I have been playing Plunder, and I can get into more details in our what we've been playing section of the podcast, but it's a lot of fun. It's very different from a typical Battle Royale, and I'm really, really excited that Call of Duty is doing more stuff because Modern Warfare has been a breath of fresh air in the franchise, Mm -hmm. and I'm really, really excited that they're pushing forward. Yeah, it's cool that they have this resurrection system or whatever they called it where you can go one-on-one with someone and if you win you come back i think that's kind of been the new the new shtick in battle royale games right because before it was like oh you're dead that's the whole thing it's like hunger (laughs) games permadeath whatever but now it's like oh no you can come back and that's the the thing that's me that's kind of like setting i guess these games apart anyway it's interesting to watch this genre evolve but uh it's something i'll probably play for a little bit i played blackout a few times with my dad, which was fucking hilarious. I love that man <laughs> so much, but he can't like he's he's one of those players who they don't know how to he doesn't know how to work the dual analogs, so he'll just like look up in the sky and like do circles. And it's oh uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember trying to teach my dad how to use the dual sticks when yeah. Paragon was a thing because he really wanted to play Paragon with me, <laughs> and I was like, Dad, you should just play with the bots for a while. Play Aww. with the bots. <laughs> stick to the SNES controllers. You'll be fine. But no, I think I want to hop in. I, I'm going to wait until you talk about it in the next segment before I make my decision, yeah. though. Yeah, I think you'll like Plunder. It's a little different from a typical Battle Royale. It sounds stressful, though, because I don't want people to take all my money. See, that's the oh, issue. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You see, that's why, I don't, that's why I don't play Sea of Thieves. I can't handle it. I don't want to go through all that fucking trouble of scouring a deserted island, getting my treasure, and having someone come in and steal my booty. I'm not about that. I mean, you got to protect your booty. I'm trying, but I can't. They shoot always cannons at me. Always protect your booty. <laughs> Hashtag always protect your booty. Always protect your booty. Andrew, do you have any thought riveting thoughts about this? I mean, riveting? No. I think that it's great that they finally brought this back. We were all questioning when you know the latest Call of Duty came out, what they were going to do about the Battle Royale mode that... Treyarch made. I was like, what's Infinity War going to do? Are they going to make it a standalone title? Are they going to make it something that's like its own thing? Are they going to bake it into every game? And 
clearly now Activision has said, hey, we're going to, you know, evolve what we started with Treyarch and now we have Warzone. So it kind of leaves a big question mark of what are they going to do with Sledgehammer, who was, you know, presumably next on the docket with whatever's happening in Call of Duty and how they're going to keep it going. Because it almost feels like their battle royale mode should be a standalone thing that they maintain so that way people can keep playing mm-hmm. and not have to worry about purchasing, you know, Call of Duty. But obviously they don't. It's free to play. So right now, anyway, it's free to play. <laughs> there, I obviously have some questions about, like, how the microtransactions work and things like that. But no need to get into those now. I think, like, there's no question that Activision is going to be a big player in the Battle Royale zone because they are a heavyweight in the shooter realm. And the best shooters make the best Battle Royale games. So and that's just, all I have to say about that. Just to speak on Call of Duty. And I would, the and I would get rumor to playing it is that but, Treyarch has taken over from Sledgehammer for this year's Call of Duty title. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, that rumor has been flying for a little while now. Yeah. Do we have confirmation? No. So far, I haven't seen anything. Oh, wait. Mm. No. There's here's the thing. You Google something in the in the, in the Google machine. I googled COD 2020. The first thing that comes up, all caps, Call of Duty 2020 is officially confirmed. And this came out five days ago from a Mr. Dalek JD. Sir, I don't buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like the Google machine. It gives you the the, the clickbaity things. Anyway, I'm done. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. We'll just have a couple more. In case you missed it, to wrap up this very long news segment. So GDC, the Game Developers Conference, has posted an update. And this uh, very short write-up, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, As you guys know, GDC is one of the many events that has been canceled in the wake of the coronavirus scares. They're going to stream conference talks, the awards ceremonies, free online after they've canceled their in-person event. So they had mentioned that they wanted to find a way to still let the developers who had prepared talks for GDC to be able to still give those talks and for people to watch them online. So previously, you know, you had had to buy a pass for GDC And the organizers have said that they were going to postpone the event and are currently looking for August 2020 as a targeted window for when they're going to reschedule it. But it's not clear if that's still in the cards, writes Variety.com. So they have said that for now, GDC has announced plans to stream recorded versions of talks that speakers were supposed to deliver in person from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time from March 16th to the 20th on the conference's Twitch channel. So the 16th to the 20th were the original dates for GDC. So if you already had those blocked off or if you're working from home, maybe (laughs) you can still tune in and watch some of those on the Twitch channel. Uh, In addition, the Independent Games Festival and the Game Developers Choice Awards ceremonies will stream online starting at 5 p.m. Pacific time on March 18th for free. Also, GDC's Twitch channel. The awards ceremony will feature the same host, Trent Custers for the IGF and Kim Swift for the Game Developers Choice Awards. The events will have the same award categories as planned for the original physical exempt, with the exception of the alt control GDC award, which isn't being handed out this year because you have to be there in person to play those games in order to assess because a lot of the games that are in the alt control GDC category have really unique custom controllers. The one of so, the mentionable uh, streams coming out of well, this is 
I fucked it up. I've had too much whiskey. All I'm trying to say is Microsoft has a Microsoft is doing a thing where they're streaming a bunch of talks because their GDC stuff obviously got all canceled. So March 17th through 18th, there are going to be 16 online panels, and one of them on the 18th is called Xbox Series X Plus Plus Project X Cloud equals new chapter in gaming. So that might be something you want to put on your calendar. Be talk exciting. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, I don't even know anything about this, so I will definitely be watching out for that. Oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. We'll all be watching together. So that could be It'll exciting. Be great. Also, Andrea, I thought it would have been fun to live stream the awards, but that's also the night we record the show. Oh, well, maybe. Mm. No, but we'll have to talk about this afterwards. I know. I know, but that would have been fun. See, this is the kind of stuff we want to do more of, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, maybe we can shoot the show the day after. That's what I was thinking. It'll be another late night for the both of us, but we can make it happen. We've done it before. We'll talk about it. We've done it before. And I would say I have nothing to get up for on Friday, except that's when the show publishes. Right, right, (laughs) right. right. that's okay. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. Stay tuned. Um, Other in case you missed it, Reggie Fizame is joining GameStop's board of directors on 420 of all days. <laughs> I don't know why they picked 420, but that's amazing. Uh, others joining him are Bill Simon from Walmart, PepsiCo, and Nabisco, and James Samaki from PetSmart and Sam's Club. And after 420, GameStop will have 10 board members. Are they going to save GameStop? We sure hope so. I hope so. We love GameStop. Please do. Um, we have another Patreon question about this news story from nova hello wgg ladies love the show andrea from your experience with gamestop is their board a little more active in steering the company where reggie might be able to really push the company in directions to save it or would he be more relegated to giving ideas on how to help so this is a great question and unfortunately i can't give you a real answer because i never actually met with any of the board members while i was working with gamestop and the leadership at gamestop has dramatically changed over the last three to five years when we're talking about sea level and people who influence the business strategy so how they interact with their board is going to be very different than previous ceos for example so i can speculate mm, i love and speculation hope yeah. That they're going to bring somebody like a Reggie Fisame on board to help them strategize how they can recover and bounce back from this. Because, like, why would you have a board member if you were just going to have them for a superficial reason? I mean, there's plenty of companies that do that, but not companies that are publicly struggling in the same way that GameStop is. So, generally, when you have a board member that's more of like a either a financial board member or something that's there just for PR or what have you, or for optics, like it's because the company is doing fine. It's never because the company is about to like, you know, go tits up. So (laughs) hopefully, hopefully all those board members can help. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, Horizon Zero Dawn is finally coming to PC and the fanboys are mad. In another news, the sky is blue. Yeah, <laughs> I added that last sentence in there because hot diggity damn. Oh, but our exclusives. Who's mad, who's mad about this? But Why? our, but our, ex- our exclusives, you guys, our exclusives. <laughs> if we don't have Horizon specifically only for the PlayStation 4, our exclusives, and then all that shit we give Microsoft for putting their games on PC all goes out the window because exclusives. Anyway. Did everybody get mad when Death Stranding announced they were going to PC? I'm pretty sure everyone rejoiced. Yeah, right? That's coming this summer. 
There's a whole bunch so of other like, shit. Like it's worse, in here. fact, because Death Stranding just came out. Yep, it's a, it's a thing. It's Ugh. it's just a thing. So then this prompted head of PlayStation Worldwide Studios, Herman Holst, to make a statement. <clears throat> and to maybe put a few minds at ease, rele- <sighs> releasing one first-party AAA title to PC doesn't necessarily mean that every game now will come to PC. He said in an interview, in my mind, Horizon Zero Dawn was just a great fit in this particular instance. We don't have plans for day and date PC releases, and we remain 100% committed to dedicated hardware. Like, the fact that you had to put that out there makes me so sad. It makes me sad. There's something wrong about this. Like, obviously, we want Horizon 2 to be a launch title for PS5. That would make me incredibly happy. So it makes sense in any regard, that you would put one of the best exclusive titles on PC where people can play it. This game has been out for, what, three years now. Let more people enjoy it. And then that way, when it comes to PS5 as a console exclusive, those people will probably buy a PS5 for that game alone because it is a system seller and sit down. God damn it. Yeah, what she said. What she said. Honestly, it... it... Here's the thing. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Ah, fuck that shit. If you really feel strongly that a game's exclusivity to the console that you prefer is what makes it special, then you're allowed to think that. But the people who make the game are also allowed to think that that's wrong, and they want as many people as possible to play it, so they're going to put it wherever they want, and that's their choice to make, and you have to deal with it. That's, That's it. Yes, you're so nice. Oh, I love that Ree's going to be like the diplomat. <laughs> I know. I can, you can tell like, that, that I've been doing this too long because now I'm starting to get real salty. And I love you, Ree. Thank you. I can, I can hang up my crown or whatever the fuck I had. You're allowed to have your incorrect opinions. <laughs> oh, you are allowed. You are allowed to be wrong. She and loud you're allowed about to have it. That's fine. Your feelings are your own and you should embrace them. <laughs> but use yeah. freaking logic anyway. Mm. That's it. I got to pee. Can we move on to the next segment? On that note, let's wrap up this news segment because it has been a doozy because we have lots of amazing games to talk about in the next segment, including a couple of gems that we didn't get to talk about from PAX, plus new titles like the gorgeous Ori and the Will of the Wisps. When we come back, that segment and more. We'll see you in a minute. Good, everybody. Welcome back to the What's Good Games podcast. This is segment two where we talk about what we've been playing and any special events that we've been to. Spoilers, there's no more events from now until the end of time. <laughs> Damn. Just kidding. Hopefully events will come back once everybody has, you know, calmed down and learned how to wash their hands and stopped buying toilet paper. Anyway, I digress. We have so many games to talk about this week, so let's just get into it. But before we do that, I want to let you know it's brought to you by Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. We talk about it every week. But if you haven't joined our Patreon, we have amazing membership rewards like exclusive vlogs, exclusive streams, exclusive physical goods like handwritten postcards, and even Polaroids. You can join our fantastic community of What's Good Games fans at Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. And we have been suffering a little bit because of what's been happening with COVID-19. So if you've been on the fence 
whether you want to support what's good or not, maybe now is the time to head on over and make a pledge for as little as $2 a month. You can get access to Patreon-exclusive content at patreon.com slash what's good games. And let me tell you, Brittany and I have already been brainstorming about some of the amazing things we're going to be rolling out for our anniversary in May. Oh, yeah. So you want to be on board, everybody. It's going to be awesome. It's true. All right. Let's talk about some games. Yay. So in case you haven't noticed, there was a costume change that <laughs> happened between segments one and segments two. We are all wearing our Ori onesies. I think they're technically called Union Jack suits or something. Union, yeah. union suits. Union <laughs> Jack union is, suits. is not the thing I meant to say. That's like a flag, right? Yeah. Union Jack. Union. That's like the British, that's like the British flag. Now, Reed, right. you were in charge of sending these to people. Is that right? In part. So okay. I am, full, full disclosure, I work on Xbox marketing team. I am a contractor. And part of our PR efforts this time around for Ori and the Will of the Lisps was to send out these union suits. So I was able to snag one. Yay, good for me. Oh, yeah. And they are super, super cute. And we're going to talk about Ori today. Yeah, yeah, they're not super sweaty either. I thought I'd be very sweaty in this, but I'm not. I'm very pleased. Yeah, it's nice and light. Breathability. I do want to give a big shout out and thank you to Xbox for hooking us up with codes for the game. Plus, they also sent me three Xbox Game Pass Ultimate codes. Oh, Brittany's got three, too. So we're going to be giving these away. If you aren't following What's Good underscore games on Twitter, that is a fantastic place to connect with us on social media. We'll be giving a couple away there. And then I believe I'm going to be giving a couple. How about we commit to this, Brittany? We'll do two on the What's Good Twitter. We'll do two on my personal at Andrea Renee Twitter. And we'll do two on your at Blonde Nerd Twitter. I can commit to that. Yeah, we got six codes here. Uh, we'll wait until this weekend after the game is out for a couple of days and after you guys hear the podcast. So make sure to follow us and then we'll be giving away these Xbox Game Pass Ultimate codes because, of course, Ori and the Will of the Wisps is available on Xbox Game Pass as part of Microsoft's fantastic subscription program that they've been running and that we've been praising since it's launched. So, Brittany, have you spent any time with the game outside of what we played at preview events? No, I've been waiting to hear your opinion on it because I am not one who particularly loves the challenge, a, a tough challenge in platforms like this. I can see myself getting real mad, throwing a controller. I don't want to do that. I plan to play this because I know there are different difficulty options. Yeah. And I want to lower there it down, are. but I wanted to hear your thoughts first so I yes. know what to expect. So- I have thoughts. Um, and um, unfortunately, Rihanna is not going to be able to give her thoughts because let's be honest, she's way too close to the project. We all know that she loves Ori. Um, and so she's just going to stay mum over there in her adorable union suit and drink some whiskey. But well, let's be clear. You guys have seen the reviews. The game is good. Mm. The game is really good. The first game was excellent. It was one of my favorite games when it came out that year. And Ori and the Will of the Wisps is no different. What I really love so far about this game from Moon Studios is that they took the formula that they started with the first story and then really just kind of innovated on it. So it's got the same beautiful aesthetic and art style from the original. It's got the amazing composition from Gareth. What's his last name? Coker. Free? Coker. Um, the music is phenomenal. The soundtrack is awesome. And, of course, it's got that very hardcore platforming Metroidvania gameplay. So we first saw Ori and the Will of Wisps a couple of years ago at E3. Uh, rip. 
And, oh. <laughs> and now the game is finally here. So they originally delayed it. We were expecting it to come out originally in 2019. And they're like, hey, we need a little bit more time. So they pushed it to Q1 2020. And I can see why. So the very first build of the game that I got had quite a few bugs in it. And I reached out to my contact at Xbox and said, hey, so um, I've been having some problems. And he's like, listen, we hear you. We're we're pushing a patch. Everything should be fine. And thankfully, the patch that they pushed right before launch did fix almost all of my frame rate issues. I'm having very minimal loading and save issues. Um, but everything that I was experiencing from a frame rate perspective has been fixed. So I'm really happy to report that. I haven't read a lot of reviews that mentioned any of the uh, bugs that I experienced. So hopefully it was just like an isolated case, which happens. Like I talked about this with Metro Exodus when I played it on Xbox One when that came out earlier in 2019 that I loved that game. But for some reason, I just kept hard crashing to the dashboard. I don't I was like, what's happening? I don't think it was necessarily an isolated incident. I'm trying to remember what studio it was, but they, uh, sorry, studio website, but they did not review the game because they essentially said it was a little too broken to review it. Yeah. So it well, I'm glad like, that yeah. I, I waited because uh, this game did get quite a few patches during its review period. And this is one of the downfalls of getting code for digital titles or digital focus titles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Ori is going to have a physical release as well. But is that sometimes, you know, the developers are pushing patches, you know, right up until the very last moment before launch. But happy to report that everything that I've played so far since the latest patch has been has been great. Yay. The game, of course, is is just beautiful. And so for people who aren't familiar with Ori and the Blind Forest, which was the prequel to Ori and the Will of the Wisps, it's a platformer at its core. And so we talk about the term Metroidvania. If you aren't familiar with what that term means, it essentially is a, a combo of old school Metroid games and old school Castlevania games. And I think that Ori, the first game, the Blind Forest, really stood out and made its mark in the platforming genre and Will of the Wisps even more so from the sense that I feel like the story is more impactful this time around. And I'm not sure if that's because it's not a brand new IP now because it's the second game or if it's because the story just feels a little bit more approachable because you have this underlying friendship that kind of anchors where the narrative is going and this idea, sorry, my hood is falling (laughs) off. Um, And this idea that, you know, Ori as a character is going through all of these challenges through these multiple areas trying to save her friend, Ku. So we've got this character, Ku, who is this little baby owl, and they, along with their other two family members whose names are, help me out here, Reed. Gumo and Naru. Gumo and Naru. Yeah, so we met them in the Blind Forest. And if you guys aren't familiar or didn't play or in the Blind Forest, don't worry. It's not like you have a giant narrative that you have to catch up on. You can absolutely play Will of the Wisps without knowing anything about the Blind Forest. There's a great little prologue that kind of sets up the story for you. And really, while the narrative, I think, is great and is a beautiful part of this game, it's not super intricate. It's not like playing a super deep RPG where you're going to feel lost (laughs) if Mm -hmm. you didn't play the first game. Would you agree with that, Ree? Yeah, you definitely get caught up pretty fast. Yeah. So the platforming feels just as smooth and tight as it did in the first game. I kind of was a little disappointed that they even had this ruse of not giving you the double jump right away. So Simer and I 
went to the Ori and the Will of the Wisps launch event that happened here in Los Angeles last week, and Rihanna was there. Uh, you may have seen some of our photos on Instagram. And we got to play a little bit of the game from the very beginning, and we were like, why isn't there a double jump? <laughs> Just give us the double jump already. Everybody wants a double jump. And so I, when I booted up Ori, when I got my code finally, I was like, okay, like this is kind of annoying that I don't have double jump, but they give it to you very early in the game. And once I got it, I was like, why didn't you just give me double jump for the beginning? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, but the way that they work abilities in this game is that you have upgradable core abilities and then you have shards. And so you have shard slots. So essentially, you start out the game with three shard slots, and then as you progress, you unlock additional shard slots. So it really allows players to kind of tailor and customize the kind of platformer they like. So if you feel like you're a little bit more of a confident platformer, instead of boosting your health or your energy, which allows you to use your special abilities, maybe you want to boost your attack abilities. So they have kind of risk-reward abilities as well this time around, which I thought was interesting. For example, one of the shards that you can slot allows you to do 15% more damage, but also take 15% more damage. So you could upgrade that to make it better. Or instead, you can just take more health, which is what I did. Smart <laughs> so I girl. Like, and I, just, <laughs> I just don't like dying. Um, but they allow you kind of to tailor how you want to play. And then you get to slot more shards, you know, the further you progress in the story. The really slick combat that the Blind Forest had is back as well, except this time there's even more things that you can do with combat, which I thought was really fascinating. I chose to spec most of my ability points in the beginning of the game towards health and defense because the combat is going to ramp up as you go throughout the game. And so I decided to wait until later in the game to kind of ramp up some of my combat abilities. But I'm really just going with the Spirit Shard, which is like a like a, a melee sword ability. And then, of course, the arrow is great, but there's a lot more things you can do. Like you can light enemies around you on fire mm. with spirit fire, which is kind of mm. cool. Mm. And then they have like a spirit spear that you can throw and you can upgrade these abilities by meeting other characters in the game. I do really love how they have really ramped up the NPCs in the game versus the Blind Forest. I kind of felt like Ori in the Blind Forest was very much a solitude narrative adventure where Ori was very much by herself for pretty much the whole game. I mean, you occasionally would run across other characters, but I feel like this time around you run into these NPCs quite often and they actually have a meaningful part to play in your progression in the story more so than they did in the first game. So I actually really like that because it makes it feel like it's not such a lonely adventure this time around. And the diversity among the biomes is still, I mean, I think it's obviously they've taken it a step further than they did with the first game. But the first game was just so beautiful that I, I don't want to say it's hard to top because they clearly did with Will of the Wisps. I think that or in the Will of the Wisps is a better game in every sense of the every sense of the concept than or in the Blind Forest was an or in the Blind Forest was a phenomenal game. So all of the nines and nine point fives and the tens that you're seeing this game get are one hundred percent justified in my opinion from what I've played so far. So I'm about 40% of the way through the game. Mm -hmm. My one big gripe with this game is that for some reason, they still have not enabled extensive accessibility options or the ability to change the difficulty settings of the game 
in game. Uh, so I started the game on normal mode, thinking, hey, you know, I feel more confident at these hard platformers now that I like beat Celeste and have played a couple other things and I spent some time with Katana Zero. I was like, I can do this. It'll be it'll be fine. Boy, did I get my ass kicked <laughs> within the first two hours of Ori and so, the Will of the Wisps. During what part? Was it a boss fight? Was it the platforming? What was difficult? No, so the, the the kind of thing that happened was like I just unlocked a new area and there was a new type of enemy. And when I was playing on normal mode, you only have three hits from enemies before you die. And so you have to manage your life, your vitality cells, they're called, or your energy cells. So you have your blue cells on the left, your green cells on the right. So green is vitality, blue is energy. And energy manages your special abilities, like using your arrow or, you know, using like your sentry if you unlock that or whatever you kind of equip as your abilities versus vitality is just like how many hits can you absorb before you die and they have to their credit really ramped up the checkpointing system so it doesn't feel as punitive as it did in the first game so if you die a lot which spoilers you're gonna die a lot um it doesn't feel as punishing however i started my game over from the beginning after playing i think it was like three hours total to go on easy mode Mm. because i was like you know what I'm not going to do this to myself. I'm not going to suffer and suffer and suffer because I have something to prove to anybody because as Felicia Day mentioned on the panel that we hosted together at PAX, there is fucking nothing wrong with baby-ass baby mode, everybody. Baby-ass baby mode. Here for that. Shout out and to so one was, Gary Witta who also embraces the baby-ass baby mode. He wore a shirt on Kind of Funny Games Daily. And shout out to everybody who embraces baby ass baby mother. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you want the challenge and you're up for the challenge, then I'm so happy for you and your ability to take on that challenge. L O L L O L. But my thing with Ori is that the combat to me isn't really even the focus of this game. It's the really amazing level design and the traversal through that level design, which the easy mode doesn't really help you with. I guess I would need to talk to the developers about if the easy mode changes how much energy you use for specific things. But the jumping, the jumping doesn't use energy. So, I mean, the traversal is going to be the same difficulty no matter which difficulty mode you play on. It really just scales the combat would be my guess. Mm. But it's the thing that, I found frustrating is that in 2020 that a game that is on Xbox's platform and published by Microsoft Game Studios who has a very public focus and commitment to accessibility in video games wouldn't fund whatever the developer would need to be able to allow people to change the accessibility settings midway through the game. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre. That's a weird choice. Did it, yeah. it didn't give you a warning or anything, right? Because typically when you can't change the difficulty, it'll no. tell you when you first launch a game. And I tried. I looked. And I looked when I started it over. And I checked. And hmm. I just did not see a way to change it. And I reached out to my contact at Xbox. Actually, let me check my email and see if he got me um a response shout Check out to, to jeff you the best jeff jeff's the best shout out to jeff now he we said he was gonna Rihanna go back and while check. she checks her email <laughs> to fill time so we do dude yeah jeff is the best. no it's 
Correct. Essentially, um, the producer, so Jeff said, heard back from the producer on difficulty. You cannot lower your difficulty setting, but if you don't want to restart, you should try and equip the shards of support defense and take the ones that do things like, you know, better damage, et cetera, et cetera. Huh. But you can grind um, mm. the combat shrines in the game to kind of harvest light which allows you to upgrade your shards and your weapons in, in the Wellspring Glade when you meet some NPCs about, you know, a third of the way through the game. So that's kind of like my one gripe about the game, but it's a small gripe, but I really wish the developer would have communicated that to the player at the very beginning by saying, hey, you can't change your difficulty once you've begun. Are you sure this is the, the difficulty you want? Because I can't imagine having gone through on like a, even like normal or hard difficulty and getting like 30 or 40% of the way through and then just being like, you know what? Like, I can't deal. It's too hard. I need to change. I want to continue to the story and see this beautiful art and experience this gorgeous soundtrack and really like feel the feelings you're going to feel with this story because there's feelings. So, so many, many feelings. feelings. <laughs> so many and then you and then you quit because you're like it's too hard or you have to start over like I, yeah it sounds like it's just an oversight because typically with games like that you'll get a warning right when you first start this is the difficulty you want to choose because you cannot change it going forward and usually that's because of like trophies or achievements or something but even yeah. then it still allows you to change the difficulty it just gives you a warning that you'll lose that achievement or trophy so exactly and i'm sure it'll I be really patched in at some point do yeah, and I hope they do patch that in because, like, I think that that's a fair trade-off to say, hey, if you're going to change your difficulty, that's cool, bro, but you're going to lose any achievements that you had or that you would get or you'll lose, you know, the ability to unlock special whatever. Like, that's right. fine as long as I can finish the game. I think that's why people praised Celeste, including myself, because I think what celeste really did right is say hey we're gonna let you finish the game at any difficulty you want and we'll slide the difficulty up and down as you go and if you want to turn all of the accessibility options are where you're basically invulnerable to allow you to finish the story we're gonna allow you to do that too and that's what i really want from more developers is to say hey we're gonna craft this the way we want it to be crafted and we're gonna show you exactly the difficult settings that we think make this story and this gameplay the way that our vision is but we also want people to still be able to experience everything we created and thus we're going to offer you these other options but know that like this is the way the game was intended to be played mm -hmm. and um i was just a little bummed but that said that aside this game is still amazing so just play it on easy mode and then if you want to <laughs> be a badass go back later and put it on hard and be like look at how fucking good i am at this game now okay and you'll feel great about it but just start on easy mode knowing that like it's going to the, the 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 platforming puzzles are going to always be challenging. That's cool. I think I can handle that. I remember playing Ori in the Blind Forest way back in the day and I got so frustrated at one point that I was like, "Nope, I can't do it." And so that's why I <laughs> wanted to hear from you first, Andrea, what your thoughts were. So it sounds like put it on easy and you just got to get good at the platforming cuz that ain't going yeah, down. What I, what I love about the platforming and what Moon has done such a fantastic job with is that they've taken this concept of like a platforming puzzle and really forced you to be creative with how you use all the tools that you earn over time. And so the platforming puzzles build on each other. So they start simple with basic things and then you really have to start thinking outside the box of like, okay, there's an area up there 
that I know that I can get to. But I can't get there now. But maybe I'll unlock an ability and then I'll come back later. Mm. And then you go and you unlock some things and you go back and then you're like, actually, I could have got there the whole time if I just thought this, this, and this. But that's like really, to me, genius level design. Something that not a lot of developers are able to nail and that Moon has done such a fantastic job with, with Ori and the World of the Wisps. And if you or maybe on the fringe of liking Metroidvania games, or if you just like a really beautiful platformer, I just cannot recommend this game enough. And I'm so glad that it's finally here. It's not like we don't have a a bunch of other games to play, but hopefully you will carve out some time to play Ori and the Will of the Wisps because it's just a gorgeous, beautiful game and will definitely be in Game of the Year contention at the end of the year, without a doubt. <sighs> That's awesome. That makes me really happy because I've seen nothing but positivity about this game besides, like you said, the frame rate issues and so there's some save bug or whatnot on uh, social media from our <laughs> colleagues and all of those things. But I just have to pull myself away from Yakuza. Excuse me. <laughs> yes. So, Good luck okay, with that. Uh, spe- speaking of Yakuza... <laughs> Um, we'll talk about the pack stuff at the end of the at the end of the segment. Um, let's talk about this. So I saw you tweeting about. I thought that you were done with the Yakuza. What happened? You got sucked back in? Oh, girl, no. I've never. Here's the thing. Okay, so <laughs> Judgment came out last year. That was one of my favorite games of 2019. Way back when Yakuza Zero released, which was maybe three years ago, I put 40 or so hours into it. This was before What's Good. Loved it, but something came along that I had to set it down. And ever since I played Judgment, I've been thinking about Yakuza 0. And I was very sick for about a week. I had the Pax Plague. It turned into bronchitis. It was just like a bad time. And when I'm sick, I always want to play something that just sounds good. Like, that's part of the reason why I didn't play Ori, because I could not afford to be frustrated or get mad while I was, like, wheezing half to death on my couch. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I've been thinking about Yakuza. Let's do this. I played Yakuza 0. I put about 75 hours into it because I was very sick. I did nothing but sit on my couch for a week. It was lovely. Uh, Absolutely loved it. And then immediately hopped into Yakuza Kiwami, I believe is what it's called, which is the remaster Mm -hmm. of Yakuza 1, which came out originally in 2005. And... Now I am just hooked. I am 100% hooked on this series. There are five Yakuza games, and there's a new one coming out hopefully this year. And it's, I don't remember, I don't think I've ever been in a situation, because Yakuza 0 is like the prequel to all the Yakuza games, where I play the sequel so long, 15 years after the first game in that series came out, knowing I have about five more games in the series that I can play before I'm completely caught up and being so fucking excited about it. Because the so far, the formula for each game is more or less the same. Judge, if you play Judgment, you know how Yakuza is going to play. But I can't get enough. It's my new obsession. I'm officially obsessed. These games. Oh, okay. Oh, girl. I already got... I'm already like 10 hours into Yakuza Kiwami. I want to make sure I'm getting that right. Hold on. Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay, Kiwami. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And after that, I already got the second one as part of a bundle ready to go. And then there's three, four, five. And then I'm ready. I'm obsessed. Poor Jason, my poor husband. He's been wanting to hang out with me for the past week. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, babe. I love you. But I am so freaking obsessed with this series. I love the characters. I love the story. I am so into it. It's I haven't been this obsessed with something in a very long time. It's a very good feeling. It's fun. But it's also bad because I got Resident Evil 3 coming up and then I got Final Fantasy 7 after that. So my my goal for this year, for 2020, is to get through all the Yakuza games. 
knowing that I'm going to have to set aside time for RE3. Oh, I have to do that. Oh, no. And then, (laughs) and then I got RE7, or then I got Final Fantasy VII after that. Anyway, yeah. It's a, it, it's it's great to be in love. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so Rihanna, have you ever played any of the uh, Yakuza games? I have not, and honestly, oh. it's it's a joy to hear Brittany gush about them because th- there's something that I've just missed. Um, similarly to how I feel about Final Fantasy, like that I've just never caught on to them as a youth mm-hmm. in the gaming space. So I'm yeah, living vicariously through you, Brett. So thank Try you. Try it. No. Do you, do you do you think do they look like a like a series you'd like? Yakuza. Yakuza absolutely. Like oh, I can girl. I can see it. I Join see me. It. Join <laughs> me. What do you start you can't stop. Uh-oh. A Pringles no. moment. Oh yeah. Ser- yes, Yakuza is they it's Pringles. Yeah. Yuc- I, um, well, uh, okay, well, what? Yakuza what? has what? a very <laughs> specific flavor of Pringles. That could be very divisive. Hmm. You have to decide how much you want to like spend time doing mini games. If you really love mini games, then Yakuza is the series for you. Well, okay. Here's the thing: is you are and you are not wrong at the same time. You can skip the mini games. <laughs> at that same, I so in Yakuza Zero, there are two mini games. There's a, a mini game where you have to manage real estate as Kiru, and then there's a mini game where you have to manage a cabaret club, a hostess club as a Majima and I did not think I'd be so hooked on these I spent 20 like well not 24 hours that's an exaggeration I spent one full day on on the real estate and one full day on the cabaret club and I had so much fun that and Jason's like what are you doing managing your your hostess club again I'm like yes I am sorry I can't talk to you today I love you I mean (laughs) know your place which is downstairs no I'm joking uh but whoa okay I say it with love because he's such a trooper because he knows when I get hooked on something that it's like that's all I can think about. So he's super obsessed with Command & Conquer Rivals. And so he would just sit on the couch next to me and for like six hours we would be side by side but not say a damn word to each other because he would just be like playing Rivals and I'd be like managing my cabaret club, like giving my girls makeovers. And it was just so much fun. So the makeovers, not makeovers, wow, the mini games. And Yakuza Zero, fantastic. My understanding is in Kiwami, there's not any mini games like that. So hopefully, I can breeze through this one within like thirty to forty hours, as opposed to like the seventy-five that I spent on Zero. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I'm obsessed. It's like literally all I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm glad that you have a new obsession. I'm I'm happy. Thanks. That at least it's something that's new-ish. Well, versus. Very old-ish. Oh, girl, you break me. <laughs> you break my heart. No, like, I know. this. And it, when I was talking about it on Twitter, I didn't expect the response that I got. But it sounds like this is just a, a series that so many people love. But it sounds like it doesn't get a lot of the spotlight. And as someone who's never really... in the United States, no. Right. And as someone who doesn't follow the series, or I haven't until now, um, I... Now I can see it. Yeah, I get why this game is so underappreciated, why the series is so underappreciated. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good time. Rip my marriage. That's okay. <laughs> Listen, that's what that's what The Division 2 has done to me. Yeah. My husband's like, oh, I thought we were supposed to go to a movie tonight. Whoops. Maybe. Oh, sorry. Again. Um, so uh, speaking of obsessions, Ray, what is your obsession right now? What are you playing? Okay, I've been playing Call of Duty Warzone. Here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've had one night with Call of Duty Warzone, and 
I am a huge fan of Battle Royales. If you caught the PAX panel, you know how I feel about Apex Legends. You know that that is my freaking jam. Um, I honestly can't... I can't stop thinking about plunder. It's different. It's not. <laughs> okay. It's not the spawn, and then the the little cloud is, you know, slowly funneling you into a smaller and smaller circle. It's not the limited respawns. It, it's something totally different, and I did not expect to fall in love with it the way that I did last night. So, I had a whole brush with Destiny, and I played <laughs> with a friend of the show, Kali Fadams from Spawn on Me. And we spent several hours in plunder. So the way it works is you have unlimited respawns. There is no gulag. You are constantly gaining money from defeating enemies, finding cash drops, taking down helicopters and collecting all of the, the, the refuse from the crash and then extracting it in different like helipads or different balloons to lift it off into this, into the sky. And it's so addictive. It's so much faster than any other battle royale I've played. It's so much more strategy than any other battle royale I have played. It's so much more team communication than any other mm. battle royale I've played. Like we made really good friends with a complete stranger mm. through an Apex Legends adjacent ping system, and 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 honestly, just using a whole lot of tactical abilities that felt a little bit like Rainbow Six Siege. Like, like it was the best of all of the multiplayer games that I have played in the last three four years all put into one game mode and i cannot get enough of it like i want to play it right now i love you all Girl, but i want to play it right now I would like it, it's really right addictive now. you're both are very nice to look at you're both very attractive but like all <laughs> i can think about is accuse it okay so can you run me through like what a typical like match japanese with- men in suits with weapons oh Let's fuck yeah go. i do why not yeah oh yeah so can you run me through like what a typical match would look like in exactly yes absolutely so A typical match, you drop in, you can spawn and drop in on anywhere within the map. Was it Verdansk? I don't know how to say the word. (laughs) But there there is no gas, there is no creeping circle. So you can drop anywhere you like. Their goal is to unlock boxes and open different crates and defeat enemies to get whatever cash falls off of their bodies and pace yourself so that your team is constantly extracting dollars your goal is to get to one million dollars and sending that up into the sky either through balloons or through helipads that you call in Mm. if you call in a helipad everybody hears it so it attracts a lot of attention you have an opportunity Uh. to either get ganked or take some stuff from some other people before you extract or if you want to be a little bit more stealthy and low-key, you can send out an additional balloon that you pay for. So there's constant trade-offs and risks rewards that you have to weigh in plunder mode. Um, you can also earn cash by robbing banks. Like you can straight up rob a whole ass bank and then everybody hears the sirens going off. So then there's the risk of everybody coming at you. But then there's also the reward of if you can take the people coming at you. You get their money, too. So that becomes uh, like a whole Rainbow Six Siege. I'm going to set up my my encounter and like plant these um, bouncing Bettys and put some C4 over here and like <laughs> take on this this whole onslaught of enemies. And it, it's just really, really flexible in the way that you play and extremely rewarding when you pull off something that you envisioned. And it, it's just really, really fun. And it, it really brings you and your teammates together. Uh, Do you think that they took some inspiration from Grand Theft Auto Online? Because it kind of feels hmm. like some of these gameplay mechanics that you're describing are kind of like ripped from what GTA Online is already doing, but like 
clearly doing it with like a Call of Duty mindset instead and like in their world and with their mechanics. Absolutely. It it I would say that plunder specifically more so, I would say, than Battle Royale mode in Modern Warfare, has borrowed from the best of the best. They have the ping system. They have the heist system from Grand Theft Auto. They they have the different, you know, hold-in-place mechanics from Siege. Like it, It's sort of pulling from all of the, the best-in-class that we've seen in different first-person and third-person shooters, and uh, I think they've mastered all of them. Like, like, I honestly can't get enough. Wow. Okay, okay. So I'm going to be real. We talked about this before the show started, before we started recording. I wasn't super jazzed about Battle Royale Warzone, but like now that you said that there's like a squad-based tactical element to plunder, I'm intrigued. I'm back in. Yes, we got Good you. Job, down to play. You did I'm it. down to play. <laughs> Not that I have a bazillion other things to play between <laughs> Destiny and the Division 2, but you know what? Let's add another shooter in the mix. Let's go. <laughs> Why not? Just throw it in there. And, and it's Turns quick. Out it's in and out. You, you don't have to play a full game if you don't want to. Anywhere. And there's no gulag. Everything's been canceled. She's still going on. Are, is it timed at all? Or is it just first team to one million? I haven't encountered a game where we haven't gotten to a million. Or at least mm. one team in the entire match hasn't gotten to a million. They do throw in some things from Battle Royale. Such as contracts where you'll pick up uh, a contract to go hunt down a specific team. And then you can see where that team is on the map and go hunt oh. them down. That sort of speed up the interactions a little bit. So that you're not all just fending for yourselves and never bumping into one another. So they do have some some collision mechanics for, for the different squads. But I've not seen one timeout yet. We've all gotten to a million. If you're a team and you have a contract out on you, do you know that? You know, and people will come for you. Oh, shit. That makes me clench just thinking about it. Oh, no. So would you say that the game is set up to kind of like penalize people that are playing solo? Or is it just like an unfortunate griefing byproduct of a brand new game? I think a little of both. It depends on how communicative you are as a soloist. If you can ping things in the world contextually that are useful for your teammates to know about, like I'm going here or I've dropped some extra armor there, that makes it a little bit easier to communicate and coordinate with your team. But if you are a little bit more standoffish and you don't want to communicate with your team, it's going to be hard to go in as a soloist. Your best your best bet is to go in as a trio. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's indicative of any PvP experience that, you know, playing solo is always going to be a less ideal experience than going in with a crew that you know, right? Like, and I, there are some games where you can make exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, like, playing with people you know is always going to be more successful. Definitely. This, this is, I would say your best shot at success is to get a team of three. If you can't, do your best with the ping system and make sure that you're really paying attention to what your teammates are doing. So we know that this game just came out, but do you have any thoughts on how they're doing microtransactions and kind of currencies in the game? Because obviously like they're promoting it and pitching it as free to play. That means that there's going to be a way for you to buy things. And I think one of the things talking about Rainbow Six that Ubisoft did really well is that they really leaned into cosmetic microtransactions versus pay-to-play microtransactions. How do you feel so far about what you've seen about the in-game shop and currency system in Warzone? Yeah, so far in Warzone, it has felt very fair. 
um, similar to to what you described in in Rainbow Six Siege and also in Apex Legends. It is purely cosmetic from what I have experienced. It is something that you can use to show off when you kill somebody. They see your your card. They see your little your mm-hmm. little symbol. And if you want it to be special or like a unicorn spitting out different fireworks and things, oh, maybe yeah. it rubs the salt a little bit harder in the wound. But like <laughs> nothing that really changes the gameplay. Is it like a glory kill kind of a thing? Like, is there a specific term for it? I haven't seen any any glory kills yet. I'm not that good. But I think it'd be very salty if someone killed me and it was a unicorn spouting like <laughs> things out of its mouth. Yeah. It'd so far, salty. so far, all I've seen is uh, different weapon charms, different skins you can put on your your operators, and and different things you can put in your calling card when when people see that you've killed them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on this. It just came out a couple of days ago, so it's brand new. But if you guys are interested, of course, it's free to download. Mm-hmm. Check it out. So let's talk about, <coughs> excuse me, uh, let's talk about a couple of things that we played at PAX that we didn't get to talk about in the panel when we were in Boston. So one of the biggest announcements that we saw at PAX East this year was from Harmonix, one of my all-time favorite developers. I don't need to make disclaimers about my love for (laughs) Harmonix. I literally met my husband through Rock Band, and he worked for Harmonix forever. Um, Alex Rogopoulos has been a day-one supporter of What's Good Games, has been a sponsor of us. Like, if you need a disclaimer about my entrenched deep love and respect for harmonics, here it is. Like, in my mind, like, it's going to take a lot for them to do anything wrong in my book. That said, Fuser looks fucking cool. It looks really cool. <laughs> like, I'm really excited for it. it I, I, do have cool. a, I do have a few reservations. So, Harmonics debuted their brand new game that they're partnering with NCSoft to publish called Fuser, and essentially it kind of takes a riff on the music and rhythm beat-matching genre to the DJ era. EDM and electronic dance music, you know, for all the cool kids out there, is incredibly popular right now, and being a DJ and being able to beat-match and mix your music is more accessible than it ever has been before, much like a lot of other digital production when it comes to, like, music or video, et cetera, et cetera. It's easier to do, and so Harmonix decided that they wanted to make this game Fuser, where it allows you to kind of take on the role of a DJ, where you take music from different genres and from different decades, and you can essentially fuse it together, Fuser, oh. and make a song like DJs do when they're mixing things together at events. I didn't get to spend enough time playing the game on the show floor at PAX. Apparently, they did a media tour that I very much lambasted their media team for not inviting me to. I was like, <laughs> um, excuse me, I'm Harmonix number one fangirl. Why didn't you invite me to this? <laughs> Let's fix that. Um, and so I'm hoping to get a, a bigger access to a, a much more comprehensive build of the game later. But from what I played at PAX, what I loved about it is that I instantly dropped like right into that thing that Harmonix nails, which is like, feeling the music and feeling the vibe and like that head nod moment so few video games master the ability to like really like get you so into the music that you're like i'm fucking feeling this right now (laughs) and harmonics is one of those developers that has really nailed that because they are a music focused company 
what I had a lot of trouble with was understanding how the scoring mechanic worked. So if you take a game like Rock Band, there will be times when, let's talk about the vocals specifically, because I think this is more applicable, where you singer with the karaoke mic just like belting out journey you know <laughs> like trying to do your best singing you know don't stop believing you're like i'm singing this song and i'm feeling good about it but the score is like you're missing all of the scoring mechanics and there's a very specific way to sing music in rock band when you're playing you know with vocals to like hit the scoring mechanics that feels a little like not as fun, but you're like scoring well. And I think that's kind of where Fuser has felt for me right now is that, oh, well, I guess I can hit the scoring mechanics, but it doesn't feel as fun. Hmm. So, and I don't know if it's because like they're still obviously midway through development or if because, you know, they're not quite ready to answer some of the very intense questions I had about about this game coming from you intense questions during the interview music and rhythm person (laughs) thank you Brittany for bringing me back to reality I I just probably was like listen I made a mix the mix that I made is fucking great I don't like that the audience is telling me that it's trash can I turn that off and they're like well (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so on brand for you oh it's so good I know Cheers, girl. Cheers. You own yourself. <laughs> Rihanna, what did you think? I I felt similarly. I really, really liked the way it felt to play Fuser. As I, I was watching you through your playthrough, and then I played after you, and I noticed that as you were playing, you know, you had a little head bop going, like you were feeling it, you had a rhythm, and that, that was really, really easy to, to grab onto when I was playing as well. Um, something that I really struggled with was knowing what exactly the crowd or my manager were asking me for in order to score those additional points. So so there's two different mechanics that I experienced that I struggled with. What One was your manager is asking you to play a certain type of set, let's say pop. And then you have different suggestions coming from the crowd, like saying, like, I want a rock song or I want something from 1990 or... I want something from current and it was really difficult to balance all of those demands. And I understand that's part of the mechanic and the challenge of the game, but it, it wasn't as simple to really latch on to what songs in your lineup would meet those criteria. So I think it's one of those games that will become easier or a little bit more fluid with the learning curve. Um, and as I spend more time with it and those moments did kind of interrupt my flow, so to speak, but it did feel good to play. I felt like I was a DJ. Like, I felt cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of cool. what I want from a harmonics game is to feel cool at the end of the day. Yeah, and I did get five yeah. stars. So, so I managed to figure it out. Good for you, girl. Good for you. <laughs> how how do you score points? Like, what does it look? What does the UI look like? Okay. Yeah. So, let, so let's get back to, you know, like how to play the game, right? So... You are a DJ, like, at a turntable, and you kind of have a, so it kind of is like a first-person point of view of you sitting at the turntable, and in front of you, I'll have this kind of, like, half moon of tracks. So you're going to have a vocal track, a guitar track, a, a, a drum or percussion track, a couple synth tracks. I think there's five tracks total, and then they correspond to different colors, and then across the top of the screen, you're going to have album art. So you're going to have like, um, 
you know, um, LMFAO party rock. You're going to have, um, you know, Bon Jovi. Living you know, on um, a prayer. Exactly. Right. So you're going to have like different music across the top that's in. And they have already announced that they're going to have over 100 licensed songs. So this is very much in the rock band, rock band vein of this is licensed music. It's not like Amplitude, which... I love Amplitude. I Kickstarter-backed Amplitude. But all of that music was Harmonics Originals. So that's not this game. This game is very much like we're mixing real music, much like Rock Bandit. So across the top, you're going to have a selection of songs. And what I was told by uh, the PR team was that you're going to be able to choose which songs you bring into each challenge. And you're going to get what the challenge requires. And so you're going to be able to be like, okay, for this challenge, I'm going to want to bring this amount of like country songs or this amount of songs from the 70s, et cetera, et cetera, right? And when you hover over each music, you're going to see which genre it is and which year it was released because let's be honest, not every one of us is a John Drake savant in music and can instantly name check any like three bars of whatever song you play. What's the name of that old old trivia show? The the music show where they would play a couple bars and you would have to guess. Name that tune? Your, yeah, well, name that tune. I think that is it. So essentially, like, you don't have to know because, like, you hover over and the game will tell you. But cool. hopefully you know. But what's great is that it allows you to mix and match different beats. So, like, when I was playing, I had Mi Gente, which is one of, like, my favorite Latin songs right now. And I put the drum beats down for that. And then I grabbed vocals from a Chainsmokers song. And then I put in um, a synth beat from a Billie Eilish song. And a couple other things. And I was just like, this is a really weird mix. But I'm kind of into it. And I like it in a way that I didn't anticipate. So clearly this is an evolution of Mixer. Uh, which is the game that they, um, that they put out. Wait, is that the name of it? Mm. Oh my gosh, harmonics. This I, is I, when I we was... sing songs and we fill in the time. <laughs> ooh, ooh, yeah. No, I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, no, that can't be it. Um, What was the name of that game? Name that game. Burder, burder, burder. Name that game. Brittany's like, drop mix. Ah. That's the name of the game. I was like, I literally have it on the shelf over there. I just can't see the box from this far away. It's like, <laughs> it's not Mixer. It's like, that is mix- what she said. So, um, Drop Mix was this game that Harmonix put out a year and a half ago, two years ago. We could put cards down on this interface and would like mix these different songs together. So clearly this is like an iteration of that and something that's, I think, a lot more accessible to people um, because you could just play with a controller instead of needing this, you know, proprietary piece of hardware. But what I love about the possibility for this game is that it allows people to recreate songs that they love with different pieces of songs that they may have kind of forgot about or didn't hear of. But I need to see more. I did notice that they had an avatar, your DJ avatar in the game. And I was like, huh, that looks like it's ripe for customization. I'm going to be able to customize your avatar. And they're like, of course, but we're not talking about those full details yet. But I loved the customization that I could do in Rock Band with my avatar. So um, if my DJ can look good, I'm excited. <laughs> but I wasn't 
happy that the crowd booed me. I agree what you're talking about with the difference between what the manager wants you to do and what the crowd wants you to do with something that I get as a gameplay mechanic is an interesting idea of like you go into a venue and the venue is like, hey, we hired you to like spin an EDM show, but now your audience wants you to play all country. Like, are you going to please the audience or are you going to please the venue? Please yourself. There's How shit. often does a DJ actually get into that real world environment where they, like they get hired by somebody to spin a specific kind of show, but then their audience is like, "No, play this thing instead." Like Every. that just doesn't really happen unless you're doing like a wedding, like right. a wedding DJ. Right? They just I keep requesting ho- TikTok songs. I would hope that there's going to be like a free oh, play shit. option, right? There will, you- there will be. They've yeah. already confirmed that there will be. Okay, a free good, because that's the only thing I would want. I want to like hop in and like mix some shit because that was. One of the best parts, okay, I know that's soon at Justice, of PAX East was walking by that booth and then hearing those songs. You're like, oh, yeah, I need some pep in my step. Here we go. Like, there was some good good yeah. shit being played out of that booth. It was great. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sad thinking about it. I was talking to the, the team at NCSoft and I was like, listen, some of the harmonics parties at E3 are the most legendary parties I've ever been to. I cannot wait to see what Fuser does at E3. Oh, the amazing rip. booth that they have and the amazing party that they have because Harmonics in their glory days of having these awesome, like, whether it was Rock Band or Dance Central, having these fantastic booths. I saw The Who play at the Rock Band E3 party back in the day. <laughs> and now that it's canceled, I'm so sad. It's so sad. They also had some great PAX East parties as well that we've been to. Years yes. ago, before What's Good was even a twinkle in our eye, Andrea and I once walked <laughs> through snowy Boston party. to get to so one we'll of those keep parties. Our fingers packs for, or, or packs. Keep our fingers crossed for PAX West that Harmonics is something big for, for Fuser and PAX West. But this game looks cool. I'm very excited. And Rhea, I'm glad that you had fun. So Rhea, um, what kind of a DJ did you find yourself becoming? I found myself becoming a very... <laughs> alternative dj oh i i I don't know why but i kept going back to lizzo's good as hell as the vocal oh yeah and i tried my best to put it to absolutely every other (laughs) track possible and it came up with some some losers let's be honest but most of them that song has a very specific beat right like that hair toss check my nails feeling good as hell oh my god we have lizzo on this show I mean, if we can get Lizzo on the show, I might it's actually you. die. Girl, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please. Can we? <laughs> She's great. But I hear you that Lizzo specifically would be hard to beat match to a lot of people. That's why I went with Chainsmokers because I felt like... Actually, you know, Fatboy Slim was my most successful was my most successful vocal track for beat matching. It was pretty um, good. But was Billie Black Eilish Street Bad Guy there? was also a, a solid choice for, for the guitar track, actually. Yes. Was there a black yeah. straight no diggity? Ooh, there not was yet. not in the demo, but maybe in the final game. I will formally request that. No diggity would be a great vocal track if you just had the background vocals. Oh. Or it was like mm, mm. genuine's pony. Mm. Mm. It's genuine in general. I mean that that synth line from Pony. <laughs> oh yeah, everybody knows. Oh yeah, everybody knows. You can hear it in your head. Just think about it. You're like, wait, what is she singing? Oh yeah, pony. Mm-hmm. You want it? And not like my, not like my horse prince that I talked about on this show a long time ago. Genuine's pony. <laughs> that you will write it if you are horny. 
Um, I forgot about horse prints until you just mentioned horse prints. You know, I never finished that. I'm very sad about it, but also kind of relieved. Because looking back on it, it was one of those things that I should have stopped a long time ago, but I was so into it. I had to see what happened. But I don't know. He's just a prince with hooves. I don't know what happened to him. I feel like you need to check in. Maybe take a break from your Yakuza Japanese boyfriends and go check in on your horse prince. Uh, mm -hmm. The trade-off is real. I'll think about that. (laughs) One Japanese lover for another. Ah, my horse prince. I get it. So beautiful. I mean, I don't get it. But anyway, uh, speaking of Pax Leftovers, that was a weird segue. It worked. Um, <laughs> I ended up playing Maneater because Brittany talked about it on our panel I at t- Pax. And I was like, okay, let me go by and check this game out. And I was traumatized. <laughs> oh, no. Traumatized. Did you, did you struggle with killing the beachgoers? No, oh. I struggled with killing the turtles. Oh, girl. Why do I have oh, to no. eat the turtles? You have to bite onto them and you have to like shake them back and forth. You have to thrash them. Mouth. Yeah. And oh, then, no. But they're just little sea turtles you're fighting a, their own business. But you're a shark. That's what you do. You got to survive. Yeah, but I don't have to eat sea turtles as a shark. I can just eat seals, which was also terrifying. I mean, I yeah, we all know you love seals. It's fine. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> what? We all Why know. Me eat my boyfriend. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> we're off the rails. This is really sad. I mean, this is mild. This is mild for off the rails. But like, <laughs> real talk, like, it was, it was more gruesome than I was anticipating. <laughs> Wait, really? For. So, for people that missed our packs panel from last week the episode man eater is a game that's being published by tripwire interactive mm-hmm. do you remember the name of the developer no it's been a whole week up. um where you play as a shark you play as a shark you- and you're trying to avenge your mother who was wrongfully killed by a fisherman and your whole goal is to get back to him and teach him who's boss and tell him all the things that he's done wrong in his life and to do that, you got to have this like sandboxy. I think there's seven different areas that you swim around. There's collectibles to find. You can level up. You can morph into a shark that has like bone armor, or you can, you know, shoot out electricity from your body, which is weird because you're like a shark, but it's a thing. Yeah, you got to get revenge. You got to avenge your mama. Yeah, I mean. Vengeance is key. So this is actually being published and developed by Triple okay. Interactive. And it's slated for Windows, PS4, and Xbox One in May 2020 and Switch later this year. But um, the the swimming mechanics were awesome. Right? I just was not prepared for how much blood <laughs> and chomping it, and like bone crunching there was. Oh, it's so good. As my shark domination. So um, I'll just continue on because even talking about it is making me feel a little gross. One game, though, a small <laughs> game that I want to talk about it because I just was so enamored oh with this game is called Starcrossed. Have either of you heard about this game? No. So Starcrossed is actually currently out on Steam. And it's having its console debut this year. And it's an action arcade game 
with a magical girl aesthetic and a cooperative twist. Join our cast of five spacefaring heroes as they travel across the stars, working together to strengthen their bond and defeat a looming evil that threatens the galaxy. So I googled Starcrossed, and apparently it's a TV series also from 2014. (laughs) Oh, when an alien spacecraft lands in a six-year-old Emery's town, resulting in an immediate battle, she befriends one of the young Atrians, whom she helps until authorities capture him. So it sounds like it's not too far off. Yeah, that sounds right um, up my alley, to be honest. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I don't know about the TV description that you just read, but Starcross the Game um, is made by Contigo Games and published by Whitehorn Digital. So what I loved about my time playing Starcross is that at first, I was like, you know, normally this more anime aesthetic isn't really my thing, but it yeah. kind of gave me a little bit of a monster prom vibe, <gasps> um, art aesthetic. <laughs> Re- okay, a little bit. A little bit of an art aesthetic monster prom vibe. Um, and they have a, a hero, a pop star who's got giant red hair and she's in this amazing like yellow outfit. And I was like, that's clearly me and who I have to play. <laughs> um, uh. So each of the individual characters have their own special abilities. So when they say it's got a magical girl aesthetic, so like the, the magical girl aesthetic is very much in the vein of like Sailor Moon. <sighs> like there's this whole like kind of anime aesthetic about magical girl and I really love the art that they have in this game. And so it's a co-op game. You can play it solo. But when you play solo, you have to individually man two players. Because there's no way to play it with just a single character. You have to play. So the way that it works, it's kind of like imagine that it's a, a 2D screen. And each character is on one side. And that I'm controlling one. And let's say Brittany's controlling the other. But, like, it's almost like a Pong-esque thing where Mm. we are able to bounce this energy beam between us. And that energy beam then hits enemies in between us. But you're not locked to each side of the screen. You can technically cross the screen. You can move up and down and side to side. But you always are bouncing this, like, Pong, like, energy ball between your characters. And that when it passes through enemies is what kind of kills them. Oh, it, okay. Following what yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at screenshots and I see what you're saying. It makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. And then you have like this power up ability where you like spin and it like charges the, the energy up as it goes between. And then it in later levels and some of the boss levels, it kind of feels a little bit bullet helly where you're having to move around very strategically and pass the energy ball between each character while also avoiding all of the enemies on screen. And it gets really intense in a very cool way. And this is an unexpected gem from PAX and why I love the Indie Mega Booth so much. Shout out to Kelly Wallach and her entire team and all the amazing work they do putting on the Indie Mega Booth. And I was like, yo, I never would have found this game. But I thank the team at Contigo for for reaching out to me and saying, please come check out our game Starcross and let us know like if you want to play um and dude like i just did not realize that it was going to be so great so thanks francesca shout out to francesca wow Starcross is cool no and so it's been out on steam so if you want to play it on steam you can play it right now but they're bringing it to ps4 xbox one and switch 
Um, later this month, I believe she said they're targeting the end of March for a release date. That's like so. tomorrow. Wait, the end of March? I mean, I'm exaggerating. That's very soon. <laughs> I, I panicked yes. for a hot minute. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I? I was like, wait, no, wait, what? Are no. we already oh, no. through it's March? March 11th. It's March 11th, Rihanna. Stop Girl, making us panic. This year's going too fast already. It's fine. We're I already feel- panicking about 2020. Okay. You're going to be fine. I love you. I'll come over there. I'll rock you back and forth. I'll feed you tequila. I'll feed you strawberries. I'll take care of you. <laughs> when are you coming? I need all of these things in my life. <laughs> April 1st. Okay, perfect. So, That's so not, Andrea, would you, say that, would you say that StarCross seems like a game that would be good to play on stream? Yes. Oh. We can play Pong together. <laughs> lady, magical Lady Pong. Um, what? Ree, was there anything else from PAX that you wanted to talk about? Um, I already talked about Armed and Gelatinous last time. Yes. Which I had a lot of great feelings about. I talked about Bake and Switch, which yes. is completely adorable and I'm really, really excited about. Um, that's all I've really got for now. Perf. Well, then I think that we're good because I'm going to hold my thoughts on the Division 2s warlords of new york expansion which is fantastic i'm uh, enjoying it thoroughly but i have so much to say but the show is already going very long and also next week look forward to our impressions and thoughts about round guard which is another amazing pax indie mega booth gem that we found at pax west so if you guys don't remember i have an obsession with <laughs> Peggle. And when we went to PAX, it's clear that this developer knew that I liked Peggle because they pitched me. They're like, so we've got a Peggle and roguelike mashup. Oh, I remember this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So Wonderbelly Games. And so we call each other name buddies. So Andrea over at Wonderbelly reached out to us originally before we went to Seattle for PAX West and was like, hey, like we have this game. Please come see us in the Indie Mega Booth. And they are finally at release. So their launch is actually today, March 13th, Friday, March 13th. And I am so excited to check this game out. So I've got uh, my code for Xbox One. Thank you so much to Wonderbelly for providing that code. And I can't wait to talk about it on next week's show because I am dying for more Peggle. And this is Peggle on steroids. like <laughs> Because they've added I'm all these for- like RPG elements in. It- um, because this show is probably going to go three hours, I will save my impressions for a game called She Dreams Elsewhere until next week. But, but, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say real quick, if you have about an hour and a half of your time, if you are a fan of games like Earthbound, if you're really great, uh, also Undertale, I would say go to Steam, Ooh. download this demo. It is developed by Davion Gooden. He is a one-man self-taught developer. He is developing and publishing this game. Um, it's very, very good. I am a big fan of it. Uh, so download it, play it, and then we'll talk about it next week. It'll Wait, be- is it a demo or is it the game? It's a demo. So this was the game I was supposed to see at PAX East, but because of an error on my part with my scheduling, I missed my demo. But thankfully, there's something on scene that you can download and play. It's not the same PAX demo that was available. Um, but I played it last night. I started it around, oh, I don't know, like 1130 p.m., because this whole time change, daylight like, savings time is like kind of screwing me up. 
And I thought I had only been playing for maybe 15, 30 minutes or so. It was an hour and a half, and it went by so quick because I enjoyed it so, so much. So, right. Because I want to make sure I give this game enough time to talk about, but because we're pushing so long, like, I just want to give a shout out to it right now, and then next week I'll go more in depth. But She Dreams Elsewhere, again, a one-man studio, one-man developer. He's publishing. He's self-taught. Very, very talented. Check it out, and then we'll talk about it next week, and it'll be great. Yeah. It's really good. Um, all right. Well, let's take our final break of the show. If you can believe it, hang with us, you guys, because <laughs> we're going to have a really fun discussion for our Patreon-produced segment for segment three of the show this week. Stick with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back as the final segment in our feature segment of the What's Good Games podcast. Thanks for hanging with us. We know this has been an extraordinarily long episode, but we hope that you've been enjoying it. Because listen, it's been a hell of a week mm-hmm. between us catching up from PAXES, us finding out that E3 is canceled, us finding out that South by Southwest is canceled. Also, we didn't even get to talk about that. Talk about the yeah. fact that friend of the show, an amazing human being, Steve Spawn, who was supposed to get this amazing accessibility award at the South by Southwest Gaming Awards, is not going to be able to get that award given to him on the actual stage. <sighs> that broke my heart. That I think that's the worst thing out of all of this. It. It's yeah. very, very sad, and I optimistically would hope that there could be another event, a physical event, where you know we can provide and present this award. But when is that going to happen? When are we going to have another event where we can all get together and celebrate the wonder and the amazing human that is Steve Spawn? I don't know. Because the thing about Steve that some people might not realize is because of his condition and the fact that he is in a very extensive wheelchair with a ventilator and has to have nursing staff with him 24-7, it's very difficult for him to travel. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the events that he had planned to travel with. And it's been interesting talking to him about it because he messaged me and was like, you guys also, if you aren't following him on Twitter, he's a hoot and a wonderful so funny. one. Also very inspirational. He tweets some really, really positive things as well. But this idea that he's like, yo, I'm literally one of the most at-risk people during this whole coronavirus Mm-hmm. like pandemic that we're experiencing and my nurses are like yeah like we always have to wash our hands and be mindful of sanitizer when we're dealing with steven's equipment but now even they can't get access to the sanitizer that they need because perfectly healthy people who aren't at risk are buying up gobs and gobs of it also just as a reminder um if you guys need toilet paper there's still uh, toilet paper to be had. Girl, um, I shout can't. Shout out to Charmin's Forever Roll. You don't need toilet paper, you idiots. Stop buying toilet paper. <laughs> if you're going to get the flu, toilet paper's not going to help you. If you're shitting that much, then you have other problems that you need to address yes. first. So you're not. But we just want to let you guys know, if you want to help support people like Steven... Please go to ablegamers.org and donate. Follow at Able Gamers on Twitter. Support everything that Steven and 
able gamers do mm -hmm, to help mm -hmm. promote accessibility in video games and the amazing work that he has done over the last few years. I'm so proud of everything that he's accomplished, despite the fact that he has challenges that none of us have to face day after day. Mm -hmm. You are an amazing example, Steve, of what we all should strive to be in our day-to-day -day lives. And I want to give you a big shout out. And I'm sad that we're not going to be able to see you get your award, but I hope someday that South by Southwest allows you to get that award in whatever capacity they can. So Yeah. And just to bank on that, incredibly inspirational man. The things he says, despite the disabilities, you know, he has and the, and the things he suffers through day to day that we can't even begin to fathom. It's just absolutely insane. And again, insp inspirational. And it's, you know, you think you're having a bad day or whatever. And then you're like, you know what? Am I Steve Spawn could overcome this. Steve Spawn could do this. I can do it too. Good job, Steve. Like legit, this has been a very, very tough week. But then I think about all the stuff that Steve tweets out. I'm like, you know what? I got this. It's fine. Yeah. If Steve can do it, I can do it. So I go want a follow bumper our sticker friend Stephen Spawn. Yeah, you want to make a bumper sticker? Yeah. Yeah. Proceeds definitely. go to Able Gamers. Let's do it. Dude, I'm down. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Also, we're like overdue to team up with them. I know. What like, the hell? Let's make it happen. At Steven Spawn. So it's at S-T-E-V-E-N-S-P-O-H-N on Twitter. Is a great place to follow Steven. He's always tweeting amazing things. And of course, at Able Gamers is the phenomenal video game charity devoted to accessibility in video games, making amazing strides. So please uh, give them your love and let them know that What's Good sent you and um, give them all the, the positivity. So they deserve it right now. And we're always thinking of you, Steve. Okay, so... Let's talk about our Patreon produced segment for the month of February. So, Brittany put up a poll and you guys voted at patreon.com slash what's good games. And you have requested that our topic for discussion this month is going to be if you had to follows. move to a video game world yeah. and choose a profession found in that world, which would it be? Shout out to Cami who submitted this topic. Yes. So, I thought. Long and hard about this. Oh, ooh. And I went through about four or five different options before I settled on my on my my final choice. Okay. Okay. The first thing I went through was a farmer in Story of Seasons or Stardew Valley. And then I thought, no, because farming isn't as easy as pressing a button like it is in <laughs> video games. Like <laughs> No, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Because I've always thought that would be a very relaxing existence where your only day-to-day -day worry is keeping up a farm and giving people like acorns and eggs and whatnot to get them to like you. <laughs> like, cool. That sounds great. Uh, and then I was like, nah, in real life, that would not be as easy as that. So then I exnayed that. And then I went on to a member of Raccoon City Police Department in Resident Evil. And, okay, no. Just, just know on so many levels, as much as I would love to live in a universe where there are zombies to put all of, like, my knowledge to the test, like, that would be a very, very stressful existence. Not to mention that I feel like that would essentially be the world we live in now, but with zombies. And, like, yo, if I'm trying to escape, like, I want to escape, right? Okay. Then I just need that. Then I went on to being a witcher. And... That sounds awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it also sounds just terrifying. Gone on a little bit longer than I anticipated. You really like 
put some thought. I did. It. I take this shit seriously. I was like, okay, maybe I'd be a Witcher, and then I'd probably die on the first day. And I thought maybe I'd be a Bard in the Witcher, like Dandelion, and like, no, that's still a terrible world to live in. Everyone's always dying. Then I thought maybe I'll be a dancer at Afterlife, the Mass Effect Club. That could be also yes. fun, right? Like I've seen your dancing skills uh, in multiple occasions. Yeah, I could grind on that I pole. Think that you could. T- I think hey. you could pull it off. Thanks, hey. girl. It would be great. And I was like, well, I mean, cool, but that's also kind of a hard world to live in. There's like a lot of shit getting fucked up. And then I settle on my answer, and that would be a fucking Pokemon trainer. Oh shit! Oh yes, shit! Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. I want to okay, live. Okay. In the Pokemon world, I want to raise Pokemon. I want to become a trainer. I want to surpass Ash. Ash. I'm going to call him Ash Ketchum. <laughs> Ash Ketchum. <laughs> I want to raise my Pokemon. I want to surpass. I want to get all the gym badges. And that's the life I want to live. Cammie, I took your question very seriously. I love it. So, Brittany, hmm. as a Pokemon trainer, what kind of Pokemon do you pick? I would be the Derp Squad. So I would have like a coughing, I'd have a wheezing, I'd have a Magikarp, I'd have a Sunfisk, I'd have a Slowpoke, I would have all the real derpy Pokemon. (laughs) And they'd be OP as fuck, and they would kick your ass, and it's great. Because like most of those derp Pokemon are just derp before their evolution, right? Yeah, yeah, they're very derpy. Coughing and wheezing are like... Yeah, they're great poison Pokemon. I get it. And Team Rocket uses them in the anime, so it's fun. But Magikarp is useless as hell, as you've learned the hard way, my dear Andrew Renee. But he does evolve yeah, into but- a Gyarados. Yeah, exactly. But I would never evolve him. So <laughs> what? No, because I, I, I want to be the Derp Squad. I don't want to evolve him to be a big badass. Like, eh. You want to hold him back from his true potential? See, that's but that's the strategy in it all. Someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, yo, my Pikachu's going to go after your Magikarp and I'm going to kick your ass. I'm like, oh, just my Magikarp's level 99 and he's OP as fuck and he's going to splash all over your ass and you're not going to know it's coming. <laughs> it's going to be so good. I got it all planned out. It's going to be great. Okay, so let's talk about living in this world. Do you envision living in the world of Pokemon kind of like what we saw in Detective Pikachu? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what it would look like, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's fine with me. I can just constantly hang out with my, with my Pokemon, but I want to be more in the countryside, kind of like we saw in Pokemon um, Sword and Shield. You know, live in the countryside, be quiet, get to travel the world, searching far and wide to catch them is my main quest. Anyway, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be the best life I've ever lived, and it would be the best life any of you have ever lived, and I encourage you all to join me. Do you have a special trainer name? Uh, Be nasty. (laughs) Any more questions? Typical. Typical. (laughs) Hmm. Rihanna, do you have something in mind? I do. I I thought maybe not as long and hard as Brittany did about this, but... I, I can't go with anything other than Dance Central. I want to be in huh? Dance Central. That's, I yeah. want to be a dancer. Specifically, yes. I want to be Taya. She's so the glad coolest. You She's got the coolest hair, the coolest outfits, the coolest voice lines. Like that's that's who I really want to be. Let's be honest. That's Hell that's yeah. a good pick. That's a really good pick. I yeah. love so Dance for Central. people that aren't aware, Rihanna Moonlights as an amazing dance team member and coach so you recently competed and if people aren't following you on instagram <laughs> it's at rihanna grams now right it is you that's got right. it you recently posted some videos of the competition that you were competing at in san francisco 
And I had never watched you compete before. And I was like, yo, I feel like I've been missing out on the secret amazing part of Rihanna. And like, damn, I feel like you should be doing more dancing. I mean, you know, the way my left knee is set up, like there's some <laughs> dancing that happens. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I love dancing. I love teaching, especially at some point we're going to do a what's good twerk shop. It will happen. It's going to yes! be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> so good. But more than anything, I really want to be Taya in Dance Central because she's absolutely phenomenal and she is the coolest and she talks about stealth mechanics in her dancing career. And who doesn't want that, right? Like, that's just so cool. So how did you first become obsessed with Dance Central? Like, tell me about your Dance Central, like, origin story. Yeah. So I've always been a gamer. I've always been a dancer, but I've never had a moment where the two could melt until Dance Central happened with the Connect on Xbox. And Dance Central 1 was my first entry point to actually like getting up in front of my console and like doing moves with my mom uh, because my mm-hmm. mom is very, very cool as well. And Dance Central has just like Just Dance, has had this evolution of like, oh, it's actually cool. It's not just goofy to be in front of your your television screen and dancing with your your family in front of your TV. And the way that the character Taye has connected with me has been really special because there's not many black women in gaming that you can connect with. And she specifically had lines that really connected with me as a dancer, but also as a gamer. Like, there, there's one that she says, I think it's in Dance Central 3, so it's a little bit into her character development. But she says something like, uh, they can't even clock you. You know, you got stealth mechanics. Like, they can't even see your sneaky little swag. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I just really, really connected with the character. And it, it's fun to do Dance Central challenges because the game does get hard. And it, it's also nice to see like the little different little outfits and their their little areas that they're dancing in, and you know it, it really really set my soul on fire as a gamer and as a dancer. So that's the world I would want to be in, without a doubt. Mm, makes sense. That's a good pick. <sighs> that's a super good pick. Okay, girl. it's weird because like I I keep going back and forth about what my my what my picks would be because and and thank you cammy or Kami, I, I don't know how you pronounce your name um for submitting this question but i just part of me is like do i want to lean into my like leadership side where i like constantly like want to be in charge and like <laughs> want to like run shit or do I want to lean into my more creative side that I can't technically do? And it's like a fantasy of like, do I want to be like a singer? Because I've always dreamt of being a singer, but I don't have the vocals to do it. Or do I want to do something more like a passion project? I'm like, mm. oh, I'm just like, I'm it's hard. Like, part of me is like, do I want to be a bartender in in the afterlife in Mass Effect? Do I want to be a singer in Rock Band 2? Do I want to be like the head of? Oh my gosh, I don't even. Know I think what, like... you join me and we become Pokemon masters together, Andrea. And you can d- listen, Jigglypuff, a fantastic singer. You and Jigglypuff <laughs> can own the karaoke scene. The two of you can sell out stadiums, and that can be like little of column A, column B. I did not even contemplate See? a Jigglypuff training situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's it. But now that you're mentioning it, I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. Could I do that? That might be the thing. That'd be great. We can find, I don't know if there are any dancing Pokemon, but we will bring you over too. I just want to get both of your asses into the Pokemon world I feel like there's a Pokemon trainer for everyone, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have garbage Pokemon. They have to have dancing Pokemon. So, I mean, it's a thing. Sure. Exists. (laughs) Just saying. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I think it's tough because, like, I don't necessarily play a lot of games that have existing worlds that, like, persist world to world in a way that, you know, you think about, like, Legend of Zelda or even Pokemon or some of these other franchises that kind of have universal worlds that persist. I guess if I think about in the terms of Destiny, huh? I could be, I could be like, a vanguard in Destiny and yes. be really happy with that role. Because I could then be in a leadership role, but without being like the supreme leader, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. also I get to like help manage my guardians and be like, yo, like let's all be homies. But also like, let me tell you when to get your shit in line. <laughs> you could design shaders and stuff on the side. <laughs> oh my God. I could be a person who gives out bullshit quests. <laughs> All I've ever wanted is to send people on fetch quests for my amusement. Right? Be like, oh, no. listen, go out, find this thing, come back to the tower. Actually, just kidding. Go out, find this thing. I could just be like a perpetual fetch quest troll in Destiny. <laughs> you could. And that might be my happy point. That might just be it for me. You know what? That sounds like a very simple yet satisfying existence. So <laughs> not a bad choice. It's something we need as Every much as we, we don't like it. <laughs> we need the fetch quest. Go kill five of these. Go collect 20 of that. Yeah. I mean, we need you. So, yeah, it could be like Tess and just be like, bring me all the cookies. Like, I'm going to give you this bakey, this cookie baking device and you just bake these things and go deliver them all to people and bring them back to me. And I'll be like, why am I doing this again? She's like, so I give you this one shader that you're never going to equip. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, um... I feel like you duped me, and I'll be like, gotcha! But you'd be an NPC, so you'd be untouchable. (laughs) So there'd be no repercussions for your actions. You'd be great. No matter what happens to the tower, Red Legion, the darkness, Mm -hmm. what have you, Oryx, bring it on. I'm unkillable, because I'm that NPC, bitch. Yeah, that's it. Mm, I love that. There you go. I love that. Boom. That's perfect. So you want to be an NPC in Destiny. I mean, that's very fitting. Yes. Well, I mean, but let me cl- be clear. I want to be an awoken NPC. I hey. Very pretty hair, and I want to have a very, like, cool outfit. You can do that. You can be whatever you want. <gasps> Thanks. Your imagination owns this. Make believe. Yay. That's a fun <laughs> question, though. That was a good That was a good question. I'm into it. That was a good one. It was. Well, thank you so much, Cammy. And please let me know if I mispronounced your name. Uh, for sending in your question. And don't forget, we do these Patreon-voted segments every month at patreon.com slash what's good games. Got something you've been hankering for us to talk about? Got to go over there and vote and submit your ideas. We would love to hear from you. And that's going to do it for our show for this week. It has been a long one. And let me tell you. I feel like I was supposed to be more drunk than I am, so I have some work to do. There's whiskey to drink. I have Soros to drown. (laughs) (laughs) But like I mentioned, don't forget to follow us at twitch.com, not twitch.com, twitch.tv slash what's good games, youtube.com slash what's good games, because we have some new content 
coming soon, and you're not going to want to miss it. Don't forget what's good underscore games on Twitter, and of course our personal Twitters, which you can see at the bottom of the screen here or in the description if you're listening on podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting everything that we do here at West Good Games. We love you guys and have a fantastic weekend. We have so many games to talk about. We've got Doom. We've got Animal Crossing. We've got Round Guard. We've got She Something Elsewhere. She Dreams Elsewhere. She Dreams Elsewhere. Boom. (laughs) And more next week. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye.